This event, one fall for the world's heavyweight championship. And ladies and gentlemen, we have a new champion. The winner, a new world's heavyweight champion. This is Ric Flair, your world's heavyweight wrestling champion. I represent the NWA. This is World Championship Wrestling. Diamond Dallas Page is the heavyweight champion of the world. I can't believe it. We've got a new champion. Oh, my God. Booker T's the world champion. He won the gold. He is the top man in this sport. It's a moment in the history of this sport that we will never forget. It's a career that goes on and on and on. Ric Flair is the heavyweight champion of the world. There's never been a man to win the world's championship who was undefeated. We've got a new heavyweight champion of the world. The first undefeated man in the history of this sport to ever win the world's championship. It's over. Oh, we got a new champion. Nine times. Sting has done it. Nine times. Hulkamania lives in world championship wrestling. It's the greatest day in the history of professional wrestling. The Hulkster becomes the WCW Heavyweight Champion of the World! Hello everyone, welcome to Scott and Paul's Island Podcast. Hello. Scott and Claire, it's as always my good friend and the unusually prepared Paul Brown. Yeah, I'm prepared, I have notes and shit, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all professional today. Paul, Paul's taking this one seriously, it's a big one, we... We felt our last retrospective, the last part of our recent Vince retrospective, which we will return to, was a bit harrowing and yeah, a bit sad. Well, it was very sad. Talking about Vince McMahon and his personal, mm-hmm. you know, dalliances is a little like talking about, you know, it's talking about sex crime light. It's his, uh, his alleged crimes, but I say I have to say alleged for legal reasons, but you know, I'm just saying there may be may or may not be quite a bit of evidence pointing towards not American being horror stories. It's American sex crime stories, among other things. So we're a bit sad. We will return to the Vince one. And I looked to eat at the. And I'm, that's why we're sad. I've already made one or two notes splitting up parts three and four of the Vince one because <coughs> I'm fucking on the ball, me. But I'll get looking at it. Like, oh, good. A lot of this will be talking about him transition to an on-screen character. That'll be fun. And then for both parts, I like. Oh no! Then I find other parts like, oh no, I'm gonna have to talk about that. But it's now I'm gonna have to talk about that as well. So we decided to put put off a wee bit more, do another retrospective, or at least the first part of a new retrospective. That'll be a lot more fun to do. Do something a little bit more upbeat. And you know, title belts have been in the conversation recently, especially for us. We did a title belt episode last week. Yeah. Uh, we decided to do a bit of a retrospective on the the big gold belt, the World Heavyweight Championship. We're gonna do probably it's gonna be a Triple H's belt. Well, not this one. This is Ric Flair's belt or Hulk Hogan's belt, if you prefer. <laughs> no one prefers. Or for 2000, Scott Steiner and or Booker T's belt. Yes. But we're going to do kind of a two-part thing for the WCW period of the big gold belt. Then we'll cover it its time in WWE when it was, as you say, Triple H's belt. At least yes. for the first few years of its existence. Yes. But yeah. And didn't it look good on him? I mean, we've done quite a few... Well, we've done a few retrospectives so far. We've done the light heavyweight tale, uh, basically, like, here's the main phrase about the belt you probably all forgot about, and then here's the European belt, a belt that didn't get enough respect, and we learned that. I, w- I wonder if we'll talk about the infamous time when Ric Flair debuted in the WWF, and when they were blurring out his 
WCW Real World Championship belt. It was actually a tag belt. I mean, we technically talked about that when we did Survivor Series 91 because that was... There are photos of people in the crowd or photographers that were ringside who have photos from that event where it's blatantly a tag belt. No even attempt to cover it up. Like, yeah. I even said to you on that time when we did the review, like, put yourself in the shoes of a person who went to, summer, to Survivor Series 91. What, what do you think? You, you must have thought Rick Flair had a mental breakdown. Like, why is he carrying a tag belt around? Yeah, he's not well. Why does he seem so proud? Who is he tag champions with? Well, we probably will mention the leaving of Flair to the WWF in this part of the retrospective of the WCW title. And my word, when I was doing my research, I love to do research, especially for retrospectives, and come up with, give you little facts about the thing we're covering. But Jesus, I did not realise how how complicated the lineage of the first few years of the WCW Championship really actually are. Mm. And even so much so, I, I horribly did that grammar there, the really actually are. That's not grammatically correct. I'm a journalist, for God's sake. Yeah. But you know better. I don't know. We're, we'll come into that. I mean, somebody else to say about why we're doing this. I mean, I, I, I partly already explained, but, you know, we're going to cover any, like, what start any world title rich because I want to do the retail at some point and some other titles. But, you know, how can we not do one about the big gold belt? It's probably one of the most recognisable belts in all of wrestling. It really is. It really is. And isn't it, isn't it very telling, right? Well, I find it very telling. Huh? But... You talk about um, title belts that yes. look great on people like that person should be wearing that belt. Yes. Isn't it very telling that the big gold belt mm-hmm. looked fucking like like it was made for him mm-hmm. on Triple H. Yeah. Same thing with the WWF Wing Eagle on Shawn Michaels. Mm-hmm. Looked like it was made for him. Mm-hmm. Isn't it interesting? Yeah. DX, both belts looked like it was made for them. And now we're pretty much running the company. I always thought that Triple H, it felt, Triple H's belt for a while, it felt like the the other attitude era W belt, because, well, for one, he, he seemed to have it for quite a while. Yeah. That belt was horrible, though. Well, yeah, that's, that's your thought, but you are a, a big fan of the Wing Neal. Yeah, not the, the giant fucking mockery that came after mm-hmm. it. Because that belt, I'll be honest with you, we're talking about title belts and brutal honesty and all that, that belt was disgusting. I did not like the Attitude Era wing legal. I liked Attitude. it about as much as I liked fucking John Cena's spinner belt. I leave the thing or the big, big blue belt because obviously the big blue bit in the middle, or the Attitude Eagle are the common names given to that belt. It's a big, big stupid looking piece of crap. Although I heard a, I can't remember what podcast I was to that mentioned the wing eagle, and they raised the point that not enough people mention why is it called the wing eagle. Eagle, all eagles have wings. What have you ever seen a non-winged eagle? It's just called the winged eagle. I'm just saying, like, just you could just call it the eagle belt because it's got <laughs> or the wing belt. You could the winged eagle. I think it's an unnecessary detail. Yeah, you could call it that, but do you know what? But then again, most of these nicknames don't even come <laughs> from the companies themselves. It comes from fans or people observing it that give it these names because WWF never on TV called it up. The holder of that winged eagle belt, you know. It's very interesting though you bring that point up because how many eagles, like, what the muscular armed eagle? Yes. <laughs> you know, the wingless know, eagle. He just potters around and goes, "Wow, oh, I wish I could fly." People who believe in the winged eagle as a thing clearly don't. I wonder. I hope they know that the bald eagle isn't actually a bird with no hair on it or no feathers. Like, it's just the name. <laughs> Do you think people will notice? 
I think I'll comb my hair a bit. It's fine. Going around with the Hulk Hogan deal. I'm definitely not bald, even though my hairline's sailing back the way. Say, shut up, no one can see it. <laughs> like that bit in Savor where George gets a wig and he's like, you're bald. No, I was bald. No, George Costanza. <laughs> I, I, w- I wish he was likeable. I uh, really do. I, I, don't, like I, don't think he, I don't think he's meant to be. <laughs> He's not. He's not even pathetic. He's just well. He is pathetic. He is pathetic. But that's and, the point. You know, you're talking about getting the wig. For God's sake, man, just shave it. It's obvious. You have monk hair. <laughs> anyway, Jesus. Right. Well, before we get into the championship that we're going to talk about in the retrospective, how are you? Have you got anything to report on your own life right now? I am good. I I am doing well. I got my. Steps in for the day. I'm just over eleven thousand steps. I feel good. Awesome. I uh, before your arrival, I was adding things to my my favourites list on my Fire Stick. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm gonna watch a little American horror stories. Mm-hmm. You know, not the actual show, the yeah. author show. And I discovered NCIS and Criminal Minds and the and the mm. crime section, so I'm good with that. I like awesome. Criminal Minds. I like NCIS. Yeah, you know, original NCIS. So mm-hmm. that was the original cast. I liked that one. Yeah, you know, I I like Criminal Minds. I used to watch it quite regularly. I I missed the Gideon era of Criminal Minds initially when I was watching it, so I started going back on it. And I, I don't know how controversial it may be to Criminal Minds fans. I'm not a big fan of Gideon myself. I, pref- I think I preferred the way the show was formatted after he left because I think when I was watching it, you got at least a good portion of the, them profiling the killer. You also got to actually see the killer themselves going about and you got to see them, the things that they would describe about it, you got to see them acting out, you got to see what made the killers tick, whereas you barely see any of the killer during the kitchen yeah. either of it. Well, I like, I like the black guy. Uh, Morgan. Morgan, yes. I liked him. I liked the little chick with the glasses. Mm-hmm. You know, the little one that was always kind of like he was just being yeah. flirty with her. Yeah, yeah. I can't mind on him. But I liked her. Garcia. Garcia, yeah. And personally, I liked the the nerdy guy. Uh, Reed. Reed, yeah, I liked him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked him. He's, I liked him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he he had an attraction. Hey, my mum. Was I, I mentioned to my mum that I didn't like it? And I didn't realise that she would be so passionate about it. She, when she would, she was not having my slander of of Gideon. She even she went as far as saying she didn't like the character of Rossi, who was played by Joe Montana. Fuck comes off, in. man! Do you know what I know how taken aback I was? I said to her like, "How dare you? Show some respect. That's Fat Tony you're talking about." Is is Gideon? Uh, is Man, that Mandy Patinkin? Oh um, my! Like I'll look like Montoya guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, who was the guy that wasn't he him? Who you know Hotch- you'd get Hotchner. Uh, Hotchner, yeah. I like Hotchner. <laughs> and I thought you were talking about him. And I was like, do you realise he was in Dharma and Greg? Yeah. <laughs> what a weird shift it was because going for Dharma and Greg to a much more serious role like this. Yeah, yeah. But when you Dharma and Greg had a fair few seasons, then this had a fair few. So he knows how he likes on TV shows, but he'll continue to get work for a period of time. So smart on him. Unlike the guy from Will and Grace. No. You know, because he spent years, mm-hmm. years playing a FUD. Because mm-hmm. let's be honest, it was a Karen and Jack show, not the Will and Grace show. Will and yeah. Grace were awful, mm-hmm. awful people. Jack and Karen were cool. He was a flouncy gay and she was a drunk. 
<laughs> it's amazing how many sitcoms are out there where the main the person who's supposed to be the main character is rarely ever the favourite of most fans. It's always one of the secondary characters. Yeah. Will was a bell ending Grace was a fucking bigger bell end. The only the only thing I know that was cool about that was to mm-hmm. is the fact the woman that played her ma uh-huh. was actually Carrie Fisher's ma. Mm-hmm. You know? Which I thought was cool. Yeah. But Grace was a pain in the hole. The only time she was likeable was in season three of that program, and that's for a short time. <laughs> Woody Harrelson was her man. Oh, I didn't know he was in that. Yeah, yeah, he was in that. I've seen a clip online where it shows like it's like a compilation of different guest stars and the people who popped up in it. Yeah, Michael Douglas played a gay in that. Yeah, who didn't like shit on people's teeth? You know, like if someone had stuck shit stuck in their teeth, you'd yeah. be like, "Get away from me." <laughs> Yeah, I was never a Will and Grace person. Nothing against it, I just never watched it when it was on. Oh, no judgement. No judgement. I remember when it was on and people talked about it, but I never watched it myself. Like I say, I, I think it would have been better if it was Karen and Jack show. <laughs> Those two were more my speed. <laughs> he was an insane, flouncy gay man, and she, like I say, she was a drunk. <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah, I can see why it would be right up your street. Yeah, at least spoke to me more. Well, I Karen why. did. I wonder why. Why are we talking about this? Oh yeah, your fire stick. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's why we're talking about this. And if but you y- wonder why, where any relevance this, as this has to wrestling, I'll, let me grasp at the straw second here. Mandy Patinkin was mentioned in Princess Bride. Andre the Giant was in Princess Bride. There's your wrestling connection. Moving on. And I watched Raw on it too. Yeah. Well, there you go. See. Watched yeah. it. Watched it this week. In fact, fucking loved it. Mm-hmm. It was. There was not a fucking weak match on this week's Raw. Mm-hmm. Not one. Not one. It was great. You know? And Seth freaking Rollins, like, Latin. Have you seen Raw this week yet? No, I've seen one or two clips of, like, the confrontation before the world title match, like when Seth tried to encourage Damien not to bring the Judgment Day with him. Yeah, but I've got to say, when you get a chance to see Raw, see it. The match between Gunto mm-hmm. and KO. Oh, I heard about it. My God. All I've seen is this, the gif of uh, the way that Walter in one fluid motion flips his jacket off and fucking Ludwig catches it behind him. I know, it's just like, foot on! And he's like, whoosh! <laughs> like, yes, well-oiled unit. <laughs> but no, the match between Kale and Gunther was, was fucking phenomenal. Heard a lot of praise being hyped on Dominic, actually, the last couple of weeks for his wee back and forth with Cody. Ah, it's good, but come on! <laughs> He's such a wee bism. <laughs> Let's say Raw. WWE recently mm-hmm. has been on top fucking form. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm getting to the point where, like, I know SmackDown is coming on Friday. Yeah. Oh, I see it. <laughs> I want it to be Friday because I'm loving it so fucking much. And I have, like, a buttload of impact to catch up on. Mm-hmm. And I feel bad for that, but that's because, well... Oh. Everything's been so fucking good. Well, no, but look, because we're recording this on a Wednesday, like we, so you have one episode of Impact that's already happened, and then one that will happen tomorrow night. I know. And then also on Friday you got against all this. You got time. But I'm looking for so much in wrestling happening at the minute, but I've got to say, Impact's fucking fantastic at the minute. Mm-hmm. The dub is beyond phenomenal at the minute. I'm loving it. Like, as does so oh. this mean you're not really caught up on what the actual card is looking like for for against all odds? 
I did see something that I think is a spoiler, and I was like, ooh. I'll, I'll, I'm not, do not get a spoiler. I'll say the main match that from this past week's impact that you should really check out if you had to check, if you only have time for no, one I thing. No, I will be. I will if be. you only have one time, time for one thing for impact, I think the main thing to check out is the the guns versus subculture tag team match. Yeah, I was Brian was telling me that was a bit too much. Because I think initially like guns challenge like Macklin and Bully to a match and they basically be the two healing like that's subculture. Uh, Mark Andrews and Flash oh, yeah, Morgan the, or? Yeah, they're from Wales. They, they had Wales. that match they had that match with uh, ABC back at Under Siege. I haven't seen Under Siege yet. Well they had, well they had a great match with ABC there and then they had a good match with uh Way fucking machine guns. They, yeah, yeah. They had a good, they had some good stuff in NXT UK. They were they used to be called South Wales subculture, but thankfully they've shortened it to just subculture. Subculture. They are. They briefly were NXT UK tag team champions. There was a cool three way match when they were in Cardiff in August of twenty nineteen. It was them versus Gallus, Mark Coffey, Wolfgang, and the grizzled young veterans. They do a move every so often where Andrew jumps up to do a reverse hurricane runner just as he's about to do it. A I, I think it's Andrews that does it. Uh, Webster will knee the person in the face. <laughs> so knee into a fucking flip. I, I'll tell you, I've seen a finisher. And by the way, this finisher did not win the match, so it's not a spoiler if you've not seen Raw yet. But uh, La, uh, women's tag team for NXT. Uh, yeah, uh, oh yeah, Kaden Carr, Guitar Chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that weird finisher they have. Mm-hmm. That's pretty bitching, I like that. I vaguely remember it, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. If I remember right, like, it looks a lot similar to the old like Skull and Bones move that the guns used to do back yeah, in the day. Yeah, it's like that, but it's just, you know, I, I didn't see a lot of them, but, you know, I, I can get behind them. Yeah, it's weird, weird when they're wherever a tag team across both brands, especially when the winter, you need to tag team, be out, they randomly get... Yeah, NXT people, you come up here, you can get battered. Yeah. Off back, then you go. I still don't like Pretty Deadly. <laughs> they are just total fags, man. That's I think that's the point as well. And the fact is, that, as far as I'm aware, the two of them are nothing like that. Lesser, but yeah. their characters are total fags, man. <laughs> I think the whole because I think they are meant to be there from ethics. I think the original thing behind the gimmick was to take the piss out of those kind of shows that were being made in ethics and everything mm. at the time. And but so, seriously, and so where's the rest of your top? I think that's the point. I think, again, the idea of, like, they don't portray themselves as tough guys. So when they don't get beat up by the baby faces, you're like, why are you not beating up these arseholes? Yeah. A tried and tested move, I mean, in the world of wrestling. Well, I like that their tag finisher is called Spilt Milk as well. Oh, for <laughs> sake. The whole cavalcade of frivolity there. <laughs> yeah, uh, so be sure to check it out. I actually haven't watched the last two matches of Under Siege. And if, if any, but, if I will, any, but I will watch it before before uh, against the odds this week. No, if any of you good listeners out there mm-hmm. have yet to see this week's raw, yeah, and even if you have spoilers and no mm-hmm. match results and things, <laughs> I fucking shit you not. If you watch raw uh-huh. and don't think that Gunter B V K O uh-huh. is a fucking phenomenal match, mm-hmm. and don't agree with. Seth frickin' Rollins versus Damien Priest is a fucking great match. Why are you watching wrestling? Uh, they were... I mean, everything else on the show was phenomenal, but those two matches? My God. <laughs> you know? It was amazing to hear the praise for Native Champions, like, people saying it was amongst the uh, the best Saudi shows they've ever done by a country. 
Hell, it was. E- Bianca Belair lost. Hell, even you know, a lot of people saying like it's amazing that a show because even probably because it was an opera and so much stuff happened after. It's like it's amazing how much Seth Rollins AJ Styles can be quickly forgotten when before that would be the main event of any card. But then it's like that's just a small part of an overall. Well, that's just a fucking small sh- part of just how awesome it can be. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, there's a hell of a lot to like you know, and I I agree with you. Like wrestling in the last couple of years, wrestling and I'm talking like WWE, Impact, New Japan, mm-hmm. UK based wrestling, fucking mm-hmm. even <sighs> that other company. I'm sure they've got the fans, but wrestling, mm-hmm. I believe honestly, wrestling mm-hmm. is getting its fucking its next great time, you know. I legit thought you were going to say it's getting its groove back or something like that. No, like, seriously, the next great time and the mm-hmm. great surge in wrestling popularity, I think, is mm-hmm. is on its way back. I mean, we had that, like, in the early mid-thousands where wrestling yeah. was, like, fucking culturally everywhere. Mm-hmm. I think we're getting to that point. I think we're seeing the next great fucking stage in wrestling. Well, people who have been around who were around in 2000 talk about the run of pay-per-views in 2000, with the exception of me in 2000 itself as one of the best run of pay-per-views the company ever had, but I've seen certain people say, like, this is the closest to that kind of run that WWE's been on, because with the exception oh. of, like, the exception of certain parts of Night 2 May, which people, some people didn't agree with, because also the decision to keep the belts on Roman is very split. There are people who approve of it. It's very down the middle of people who approve of it, people who don't like it. Some people might have changed their opinions since then. It's very, it is very split, I'll grant you, but if you, if you look, right, what is the one thing other than in ring work, mm-hmm. which is fucking second to none? Every wrestler who gets in a fucking ring, ninety nine percent of them are fucking on the on the yeah. ball, man. You know what I mean? You get a few, and I'm not going to name any names, no. but you get a few that bring it, that ruin it for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you look at it, and I mean long term storytelling, right? What are people are upset about? You know, keeping the belts on Roman, blah blah mm-hmm. blah. You look at the long-term storytelling. Mm-hmm. I mean, this Bloodline story's been going on for like a year, right? Well, Near enough. Well, or more, right? More than that, yeah. But you look at it. This has been the most like engaging fucking story that yeah. WWE has done in decades. Oh, yeah. You know, it is... It's phenomenal. Yeah. You know? People are... I mean, people say, you know, it's the longest or most engaging story since, like, Brian's Road to May of 30, but even then, mm. even then, that wasn't even supposed to be a story. Yeah, well, that was organically created. No, WWE's way was like, oh, Batista versus Randy Orton. People were like, no, fuck that. Well, you say WWE's way. Yeah. We know we know whose way that was. In a, way, in a lot of ways, this person was WWE. When people thought, oh, WWE doesn't want to do this, they really meant he doesn't want to do this yeah. thing. And the good thing is, he doesn't have any fucking say in anything anymore, really, so fuck him. And this dumbass old ideas. And then the, it's the thing, like, because of how they've ended, like, the last few, around maybe since the Rumble, have been one hell of a thing, because, like, more often not, it ends with some sort of bloodline-related angle, and that's the thing everyone goes away talking about. It is. It is. And you look at every member of the bloodline, mm. present and past, right? Yeah. And, yeah, I'm talking about Sami Zayn, yeah. you know, but you look at them, fucking every member of that fucking story has something... Phenomenal going on. Mm-hmm. The, the story between each person having it is fucking great. Mm-hmm. You know, 
And I, I, I never ever thought, I, if you'd asked me, mm-hmm. say a year or so ago, yeah. would I be watching this positively about the WWE? Mm-hmm. I would have pissed myself laughing at you. We, we even had to come out a year and a bit ago to basically outwardly say, we will not be talking about modern day WWE. Yeah, yeah, we, unless, we fucking said that on the show. Unless, unless really there's something we really want to talk about positively or negatively, but like, it's because... First few years, in like 2018, 2019, I felt like I forced us to talk about it, whether it was good or not. But then we started talking about more retro stuff and about impact. So like, well, we enjoy talking about this more so. So until WWE starts becoming good again, which we were hopeful for happening, we won't talk about it. Yeah, did we think it would become as good as it has, though, you know? I mean, no one could have predicted at the start of 2022 what would have unfolded in the Vince and thing with Vince and Triple H coming in. And then even from the start of this year, Vince... Coming back to the boardroom and the sale and everything. Yeah. These are all things no one could have predicted. But Paul, I have a quick story to tell you. It's not wrestling related before we get into the show. Because we were actually meant to record this a bit earlier. We were meant to record this more than a few days ago. We were. But uh, I kind of called the cancel on the show because I was not in the right frame of mind. Because I had a hell of a journey getting to Paul's house. So I ended up coming up to Paul's to just chill the fuck out, calm myself down, like, well, we'll schedule another time. I don't want to get into the habit of doing that, and we don't do that a lot. But when you hear my story, you'll probably figure out why. This is the birth journey from hell, and I complain about buses all the time. And everyone will say, oh, I, we struggle with public transport every day. How is this worth a worthy story for the podcast? Why aren't you talking about the big gold belt? Just listen to the story. So I have my bus app, my first bus app, and I'm timing where the bus is, and I've got an all day ticket my father gave me. I put it in my joggies uh, pocket from when I was working from home. I take my joggies off to change in my jeans. Didn't put the ticket into my jeans, oh. but I felt a Aldi ticket in my pocket, not realising that was an Aldi ticket I'd used the day before, which would now be of no use. So I managed to rush around and just make the bus that's coming. Oh, yeah, get the ticket out. As I scan it under the thing, I check it. And in the panic, I just get off the bus. Because <laughs> I don't want to pay the ticket because... I check my quickly put my bus out. There's another one a couple of stops away. I think I maybe have time to get it. I race around the corner back to my house. And I'm huffing and puffing trying to explain to mum and dad what's happened. My mum has a ticket as well. So she just hands to me to like go. I come back around the corner. I miss that second bus. Oh. Also I nearly made the same mistake because I felt my other pocket and realised I still had that ticket that I tried to use that wasn't valid anymore. So I had to throw that away and make sure I kept onto the valid ticket. I've seen a double-decker sitting at the next bus stop because I can see the next bus stop just in the distance from me a couple of blocks away. Yeah. And I'm sitting there and a bus is sitting there because that's the stop where they usually change, do the changeover of drivers. So I'm sitting there just waiting. And I'm waiting for at least 10 minutes. And I'm getting more... It could have been longer or even shorter, but I was just so... I was, The rage was taking over by this point. And I was like, <laughs> move, you fucking bus. Damn you, bus. And just moving. I'm like, I'm already fucking late here. I don't really want to get the show done. But finally the bus came, and the guy said something as a woman was getting off. The guy said something, I said, I think you, you thought would make me happy, but really it just made me more angry. He said to me, oh, nice empty bus for you. I'm like, you've been sitting there with an empty bus for at least ten minutes. What is wrong with you, man? If I could reach through that glass, I would punch you in the face. <laughs> Of course, I don't say that to him. I think it internally. And just go, Needless to say, by the time he actually got here, he was not in the best mood. Well, I, I thought that internally. And outside, externally, I just nodded and went, huh, and buggered off up the stairs on this double-decker. So we seem to be sailing through, because no one else seems to be getting on this particular bus at this time, which I'm happy about. So I remain the only person on the bus. I'm up on the top deck. 
We get to a third of the way here, we've got Yoker train station. The bus stops at the station. Uh, don't know they stop if no one's been picked up because they need to keep our certain schedule so they're not too early. No. So they just stop, and so I'm waiting there. The guy stops, I hear the guy turn the engine off. He comes up the stairs, tells me that the bus is broken down. Oh, for goodness sake. I heard a bus is breaking down. I've never been on one when it did. <laughs> and I have a look on my head to say, are you fucking shitting me, mate? So, uh, but I have to get, and get off the bus and wait for the next one, which I, which I then, which I then uh, see is like just a bit where I previously was on my bus stop from near my house, so I won't have to wait that long. And then I have to phone my mum to let her know what's happening because I thought she'd like want it all because I just wanted to vent about the weird circumstances that were happening to me. I then get off the phone to her, phone Paul to tell him that, mate, this show's not... I know you've made notes for the show and everything, that's great, and you've watched the matches that we need to talk about, but this show ain't happening. Like, and I had to explain yeah. why. I wasn't planning on buying a drink that day for the show. But you did. But I chose to because I was too annoyed not to, to not have a drink with me. So I finally get the next bus. It's got a bit more people on it, but not too crowded, thankfully. Get off at the hard gate near your house. Go into the co-op to get some blood orange cider and some hooch, which I do have today, but I didn't get that day. No. you know what the one thing was I didn't bring with me because I wasn't planning on buying alcohol. Didn't bring my ID because I didn't think I'd need it. I get, to the, I get to the counter, I put my stuff down, and this woman who's never served me before in that co-op, basically being a Jawsworth, asked me for my ID. And I didn't have time to argue here, here that why I clearly was of, of age. I just sighed and went, no, I don't have ID. Let her just take the stuff away and bugger off at the shop. Went around the corner to Tesco to buy four cans of Stromwell because they didn't have blood orange and I didn't want Stromwell. I wanted blood orange, but they didn't have it. So <laughs> I just took the Stromwell. Uh, took it, put it on the self chair, scanned it. Woman on the over the main checkouts just tapped a few buttons, allowed me to proceed with my thing. Like, ah, see, Tesco don't need to be about arsehole about this and check me. They can clearly tell. They made the long walk up the hill to yours to the point where I sat down and I had to just like I needed a minute to Yeah, he need he he was a little seething. A little seething. So after all that, yeah, I don't think I was in the headspace because I would then probably would have regurgitated the story here and I probably would have said it in a lot more aggressive manner. Uh, I did I didn't want to seem annoyed by the fact that I was like part of me was going, You mean the one time I actually do some proper homework and we're not doing it? God damn it. Because you know, I, I was quite proud of my homework. Yeah. You know? I mean, on one hand, maybe if I'd taken the ticket, checked my pockets, it got an extra minute and checked my pockets, all that could have been avoided. But having said that... See, you always you always need to make... And this is a future reference thing. You have to always do before you leave a house. You have to do a yeah. five-point check. I usually do, but like... I felt, I felt a ticket there, but I didn't feel the need to check it. But like the fact that I didn't get a bus and yeah, I had to wait for an hour, well, that's annoying enough. That doesn't excuse the fact that how I somehow, out of completely, out of complete bad luck, I managed to get on the one bus that happens to fucking break down. Yeah. Less than a third of the way here. So like, it wasn't bad enough that I was finally on a bus and I was like, like get there, believe this bus will give me time to calm down and everything, I'll record the show. When it broke down, that was the breaking point. And then. Not being allowed the particular alcohol I wanted was just an extra little mini scoop full of shit being dumped on my evening at that point. Then, were, you like, were you like that little man and, and come fly with me? You know, <laughs> Peter and Judith. Yes. Uh, at that point, I broke down. 
I have had and I don't possess lightly the posture from hell. Peter, please! <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Julie. Sorry, Sorry Julie. Sorry, Julie. <laughs> Peter, Peter was so distraught. At that point, I broke down. <laughs> so, yeah. We're working off here, me and Paul chatted and watched, talked to some ideas for the podcast and watched funny videos. We did, we did. And we now did. we felt better. So, yes, now we're in the right headspace and now we can transition perfectly. And you're wearing your Green Arrow shirt and I'm wearing my Iron Maiden shirt. Yeah. Awesome. And my and my gigging jeans, even though I'm not going anywhere, but fuck it. Green Arrow shirt I wear, even though it's got this weird. Well, I think it's a bleach stain that will never, will never leave it. Unfortunately, no matter how much I try to wash it, but fuck it, I just gotta go roll with it. Don't worry about that. I have t-shirts with lots of burn marks in them for, for many years of you know, certain herbal burn marks. And, <laughs> and you know, some of those t-shirts have burn holes in the back, and I think to myself, now in the fuck did I burn the back of it? <laughs> you know, was it was it was I high? And then I was like, oh yeah, I was, cool. <laughs> That's how I didn't notice. Yeah. Shall we begin? And I... Yes, we shall. Well, let me talk to you about the lineage. Uh, let me talk to you. Let me yeah. talk to you. Yeah. If he, if he... I hope some people have signs of money in the bank saying, if hell and I don't win, we riot. <laughs> so, let me talk to you. About the the lineage, the creation, and its connection to the NWA, if I may, because I I am honestly intrigued. Yes. A lot of people, when they talk about the NWA, the big gold belt, even talked about it with the WWE one. They go, "Oh, that championship with even longer lines than the WWE belt goes back to the NWA and everything." Even though, when they brave, you're talking about the WCW, technically the WWE belt that Triple H was talking about in that promo had a different lineage, different lineage of its own, but. That's a, that's a pernickety thing. But the reason it's got... People say, oh, this goes back to the NWA. Because the big gold belt itself for a few years before it was officially named the WCW title was used as the NWA title in place of the traditional £10 of gold for a little while. Yeah. The belt was designed by a silversmith, Charles Crim, uh, who's Charles Crim? Crim. Crim. Well, it's spelled C-R-U-M-R-I-N-E. Crim. Crim. Huh. I don't know. But he was he was a silversmith. Charlie Crumb. He he lived he was a, a silversmith based in Las Vegas who was commissioned by Jim Crockett Promotions to make this belt. For the then champion, who else? Ric Flair. Of course. I mean mentioning Ric Flair being a champion or winning a title, I would I would joke that because we got alcohol we could do a drinking game, but it's really dangerous yeah, to do that kind of thing. I mean sixteen world titles to knowledge. Yeah, I mean I think I didn't even just a mild look at it, I didn't put too further into it, but I'm pretty sure Flair's claims of how more than 16 are, are founded. Yeah. Because there are even one or two that are even recognised. They only dropped it because that local, it was in someone else's territory, and that local here didn't when they would have rioted properly, and so they won it, and then off air, like, ah, I've won it back, I go to the next town, they don't know what happened in that town. As far as they know, I've always been the NWA champion. Yeah. Because that was the carny way uh, the NWA in wrestling did it back then. And that's why the NWA doesn't exist anymore. Oh wait, it does. Oh wait, it doesn't. Mm. Well, well done, Billy. Maybe you should have stuck to music, Corgan. He came out with something dumbass the other day. He's like, oh well, if you don't cheer for fucking Tyrus, you don't love wrestling. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we're not fucking wrestling fans, are we? Yeah, no one wants to fucking cheer for Tyrus. But a fucking tubby out of shape right wing tip. I don't know why. 
they temporarily got rid of the ten pounds of gold for a little while and took place of the big gold belt. But they they did that and they commissioned in eighty five, but it debuted in eighteen eighty six. But an interesting thing about obviously everybody knows the design of the big gold belt. It's one of the few belts that's never, with the exception of the inclusion of a logo in this newer version, they've never really needed to change too much about it. Yeah, it's never really had to. It was a great belt. One thing that people don't know that I didn't know until earlier on today. Obviously, it has the little gold plate of the better where the name of the champion would go. Yeah. It was the first belt to ever do that, so that is responsible for popularising the inclusion of a champion's name in yeah. the championship well, belt. Well, that's, that's a standard, isn't it? Well, it's become a standard now, but it wasn't before the introduction of this big gold belt, so the big gold belt started a trend of including the champion's name, which in WWE's now modern terms is altered to the logo or symbol associated with the champion now being the side plate yeah. for the title. I assume, I assume that's the thing with whenever the champion loses the belt, that's the one thing they get to keep. <laughs> Maybe. They're like, hey, look, you've got these little plates. You were the champ once. I mean, I'm sure they keep spares for in the case that they win the belt back. Yeah. I'm sure even Nikki Cross has got a couple of plates from that, that week she had the women's title. Uh-huh. How long did she have it? She had a bit for a month and it was still a month too long. No offense to Nikki Cross, but the Nikki ACH gimmick was absolute garbage. It really was. It, was that another one old Pervy McGee's fucking That was her idea. That was her idea? And everyone was saying, oh, love good, of God, good, Nikki, good, why? Good for them for going with Nikki's idea. Like, no, just sometimes because it's your idea and not the company, they doesn't always make it a good idea. Like, why, was it, why did you come up with such a dumbass idea? Anyway, we're not here to talk about Nikki ACH. Let me talk to you about oh, the single belt. So Flair gets it in 1986, he's traded it with the likes of Ronnie Garvin, Dusty Rose, Ricky Steamboat and that. And it was not long after this, this replacing the NWA belt that in late 1988, Turner Broadcasting and Ted Turner buys Jim Crockett Promotions, which has the last little remnants of NWA territories, for the most part, that haven't been bought out by Vince. By Vince. There are one or two that aren't associated with either WWE or Jim Crockett, like Eastern Championship Wrestling, which become extreme WWE. Stream Championship Wrestling, that was its own thing. I might mention ECW in a little bit, so stay tuned for that one. So, I think, they took, I watched a bit of a documentary that they did for WWE Confidential, where I got those clips that you heard in the intro from, but basically I had to cut around the, the talking, <laughs> where it took me less than, it took me like 10 minutes. <laughs> but, they were, briefly were talking about basically, by this point in the late 80s, Jim Crockett kind of was getting out of wrestling, realised that the NWA and everything couldn't really compete with with the Vince McMahon and everything. World Championship Wrestling went from the name of an NWA show to eventually becoming the promotion itself. Yeah. So he took over NWA. So the NWA belt ended up, which was a big old belt, ended up also becoming recognised as the WCW champion. So you were both the NWA champion and the WCW world champion for a brief period if you had the big gold belt. That's pretty cool. So... The first person to be officially crowned the NW, the WCW World Champion in the, the lineage of holding the big gold belt as recognised as the WCW World Champion, not the, the NWA Champion. Anyone want to take a guess as to who the first official WCW Champion is? Was it Ric Flair? Ding, ding, ding. You win the prize. What did I win? A thumbs up. And what do you win? Another beer. Another beer. So Sting was the NWA Champion going into 1991. And so he was holding the big gold belt. He lost it to Ric Flair at a house show. So there's very little footage to actually find. If he ha- if he can find it, I think it's a grainy as fuck. Who did, who is it he's fighting again? Uh, 
Flair beat Sting at the Sting. Town Show on January 11th, 1991. Sting became the NWA champion for, for I believe it's officially they say a ninth time. There are some who say it actually it was actually his 13th, giving the reigns that don't officially count. But he was also then at the same time recognised as the first ever WCW World Champion, which makes me wonder if you're both recognised as both champions, is that separate reigns for Ric Flair? Because I believe they should be, mm. in my head. So they continuously carry around that belt. And but when they're on WCW TV, they don't call me the NWA champion. Like here is the WCW World Champion, <laughs> and then here's the first major bit of confusion with regards to the lineage of it being both NWA and WCW. Yeah, Flair lost the big gold belt as the NWA title to Tatsumi Fujinami, now a WWE Hall of Famer, inventor of such moves as the Fujiwara Armbar, which their brother uses today on March twenty first. Uh, 1901 at Starcade in the Tokyo Dome, a big joint show with Japan. So he won the big goal belt. Tatsumi Fujinami was recognised NWA World Champion, but Flair was still the WCW Champion. Mm. So the title change was pretty much ignored in the US. But then at the the first ever Super Bowl show on May 19, 1991, Flair came out as the defending uh, WCW Champion and officially won the match, so technically reclaimed the NWA belt from Fujinami by retaining and technically winning back the same belt because it's recognised as two different titles. Okay, then. Confused yet? Yeah, a little well, bit. It's going to get even worse, so buckle up. Oh, yay. But I don't have a seat belt. Well, hold on to something. But, Paul, it's time to go to something you referenced before. Flair's leaving with the belt. With, with his tag belt. <laughs> so it was uh, officially lit on July 1st, 1981, after a disagreement with uh, Executive Vice President of WC at the time, Jim Herd, over... Wasn't he a bit of a dickhead? Yeah. His main claim to management position before being v- VP of WCW, being a manager of a pizza hut. Oh, so he had about as much clout before wrestling as Vince Russell did then? As much, yeah. Was he as much of a bell end as Vince Russell? He had some shit ideas. He, had a, he wanted a, a character with a hunch on his back, meaning he technically couldn't have his shoulders pinned to the mat. Well, then what's the fucking point in that? Well, it means the other person could technically never lose. Yeah, okay. Well, that's dumb. So we, we briefly covered this when we covered the period where Flair comes in and wins the WF title in our previous reviews, like Severus Series 91 and Royal Rumble 92. But basically, it was a disagreement. He wanted Flair to take more money because Flair was like in his mid or so 30s, which is considered old back then for wrestlers. Yeah, not now. No, not now. But That's so, considered a, a blue chipper now. So basically, he thought, oh, Flair's time is a main event or a main event draw is done. He should he should move down the card, cut his hair, take less money and take on a Spartacus gimmick. That was Jim Herod's big vision for Ric Flair. What a fucking moron. So, they'd been built into a match at the Great American Bash pay-per-view in a steel cage between Luger and Flair. Because Luger had been, been a horseman for a while. He had a few shots of Flair, but never won it. So they finally wanted to give Luger his moment and win the belt from Flair. Then they wanted Flair to drop it here and before Tiggy's moved in. Flair started having disagreements and everything. Like, and so, like, oh, he wouldn't do the lose to Ufi. I won't have the match if you... Like, I don't want to do all this thing. I want to be here. And then, fine, if you're leaving, give us the belt back and... I'll happily give you a belt back, but given this is technically still the NWA belt, and there was a tradition at the time the NWA champion would put up a $25,000 bond uh, in order basically to, to 
say like you pay this money, you won't try any shenanigans as champion. If you want you to lose the belt, you lose it to who we see you. Otherwise, you don't get the money back. Mm. And so, if you were dropping the belt, when you, once you drop the belt, you got to give me your twenty five thousand dollars back. So, further like, okay then, give me my money then. And Heard refused to give it to him. So, Flair buggered off with the big gold belt, which is funny because then he was stripped by WCW as WCW World Champion, but still recognised until that September as NWA Champion. Yeah. I believe that was probably because that was around the time he officially showed up on the WFTV with the belt. Even before then, you had Bobby Heenan showing up with it mm. and doing vignettes like, comparing the man who holds this belt to Hulk Hogan is like comparing ice cream to horse manure. Mm. <laughs> as close as I can get to a Bobby Heenan impersonation there. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about what would happen to the NWA belt and the big gold in the intervening years. Oh, please do. Because after... Because I'll actually come back around to the second match that we end up talking about. Because... So, WCW will introduce its own new belt, which will be called the WCW title, but the big gold belt still holds on to being the NWA title for a little bit. So, the NWA belt and the big gold belt disappears until August of 1992, where because of the relationship with the NWA based like Japan, it got put up as the prize in the second ever G1 Climax Tournament, which is the big summer tournament from New Japan. Oh. So in the finals, Masahiro Chono, who did go on to win the G1 five times, this was his second win, defeated Rick Rude in the finals. Rick Rude would be the only Gaijin finalist for 20 years until 2012 when Carl Anderson, of all people, was the finalist. And hey, been, I, I, don't, I don't have anything against that. Carl Anderson's cool. I'm just saying that he's been living off that finals for ever since... I mean, I mean, the Good Brothers did do a dirty and run off on Impact, but I want to hold that against them. Well, originally they were going to spend some time in Japan, then maybe come back, but then WWE said, like, look, money. <laughs> money. Look at all the money. Look at all the money we have and accept, and some sports don't have. Right. So, Chono won the bell in August of 1992, so he was the NWA champion. Would lose it to the Great Muta on January 4th in the big Tokyo Dome show. Who then lose it to a WCW guy, uh, the Super Brawl 3 in February, <laughs> that would be Barry Windham, uh, who we'll talk about in a minute. And then Flair, were actually, when it, by then, Flair has raised his return in 93 to WCW, so a Beach Blast, he won the NWA belt back as a big gold. Separately, uh, now it's been separately recognised because the WCW belt is a separate belt, a much uglier looking belt. Mm-hmm. And then by that point, WCW ends up withdrawing officially from the NWA. I'm not saying it's because this is a bit of the time that Bischoff took over as executive producer as a company, but it does kind of correlate the tailings. It does feel like a decision Bischoff would want to do and move the company in a different direction because the whole yeah. reason of Bischoff being given the role, even though he was like a commentator and everything, like he was somebody who was looking at things from a business perspective and not so not the wrestling perspective. Because even though he had a background in wrestling, because he worked with the AWA, came into WCW as an interviewer and an announcer, he wasn't like the older bookers they had and everything, he wasn't fixated on everything about wrestling. He understood how much we need to make money and things, which is why yes. he would bring in people like Hulk Hogan. Like, these people, eyes on WCW, makes us all money. Yeah. And it wasn't until 1995 where he was in charge. That was the first year WCW turned a profit. As he would describe on his podcast, like, we went from being the ugly redheaded stepchild of Turner that nobody wanted to acknowledge was part of their network to, well, look, these guys are actually making us money. Yeah. He went from like, talking about how when he, he and other WCW weren't presented, went to Turner Parties originally, nobody from Turner High Arts really wanted to talk to them, acknowledge them. All of a sudden, they were very talkative when they started bringing money in. 
But anyway, so WCW was withdrawn from the NWA on September 1st. But Flair still recognised as NWA champion. And they reached their, but they wanted to try and reach their agreement like, okay, we'll recognise you as champion, but we want you to drop it to someone that we, that we choose, because it's our belt. And then communications broke down. So basically, they, they reached an agreement where, where Flair wouldn't be recognised as the NWA champion. At the end of the agreement, NWA would keep their, have a champion of their choosing. They would bring back their old belt, the big £10 of gold, and the holder of that belt would be now the NWA champion. Whereas WCW got to keep the big gold. And end up and end up renaming it the WCW International Heavyweight Championship, and that would be kind of a secondary world title, which would be a role that the w, that that big gold belt would get used to when it went to WWE. <laughs> so Flair got to hold that, lost it to Rick Rude at Fall Brawl '93. We traded on a couple of house shows with Hiroshi Hase in '94. Uh, lost the belt to Sting at Spring Stampede '94, and here's where it gets a bit sad. His fluid route technically won it back at New Japan's Wrestling Dontaku on May 1st. Wrestling Dontaku is a show that New Japan still does to this day. And 2013 was the show which saw the debut and birth of Bullet Club. Mm. So Dontaku is now the official anniversary of Bullet Club. But <coughs> in the match, Rui would suffer the back injury that would pretty much end his wrestling career. Yeah, yeah. He actually wanted to get back into the ring, but because of that Lloyds of London policy, he had a whole snafu with it, didn't he? Yeah, Bishop has talked about it like... You can see in 97 when he comes back and he's mostly standing in the corner of, of Kurt Henning. You can see him working out to try and uh, get in by ring shape. But basically, we push up at it is like, it would cost us a lot. We'd have to offer him more than what he's Lloyds of London thing was worth to get him out of it and get him contracted again as a wrestler. But given how late on in his career was and the fact that he was going off a quite a serious injury from years earlier. like there's no profit in that for like, us. We won't see a return on that money and everything. We're spending a lot of money on a aging wrestler with a history of injuries who may not give it have a lot left in the ring. Yeah. It's so like we're, we're not gonna see, we might at best see just over half that return, so wouldn't it like I get I get like both parties on that one, you know, because like Rick Rude, obviously, he's like, look, I'm back in shape, I can go. And Eric, I always felt bad for Bischoff a lot of the time when it came to WCW decisions, because yeah. a lot of the time, like you say, he was thinking business. He's like, look, well, you can go and I respect you and everything, but how much can you go? So how much, what return will you be wrestling for, like, a year, half a year, mm-hmm. a year and a bit? But like, and even then, I'm pretty sure he comes out in 87, he didn't actually have a few more years left. Unfortunately, he would pass away again. He was one of the many who unfortunately did pass away fairly young. Yeah, in 99. It's quite a nasty... I've seen the club where he does get injured. Like There's a bit of a platform underneath where the ring is. So there's a ring, a bit of a platform, and you sit down. Sting dies to the outside. He goes stumbling back, and they miscast it, and his lower back hits the edge of this bit, elevated bit. So that would kind of fuck him up. Is it kind of like the same thing with Sean? They clipped his back on the bottom mm-hmm. of the... Well, he clipped mm-hmm. the bottom of his back on the casket. I, I'm assuming, yeah. Because even, even then you can see him favouring it as soon as that happens. The only so, difference is that, like, that was a bastard to Rick Rude's career. Mm-hmm. Probably a godsend for Michael's existence. Mm-hmm. But, like... So... But Rude actually continued on and won the match and won back the belt, but then it was soon down, like, no, you're, you're, you're done. So... At the Slam Rebury after they were going to hand the belt back to Sting and Ding did the baby face and like, no, 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 I don't want to be handed the belt back. So later on that night he had a match with Vader where he won the international belt back. Mm. And the international belt would actually be unified with the WCW title a month later. 
We'll come back to that because that actually fits into the second match we're going to talk about. Oh, okay, cool. So that's everything that happened in the, <coughs> those three, two and a bit years with the big gold belt where he still carries the NW belt and the international heavyweight belt. What was happening with WCW's belt? I must say, that's, a lot of that is information that I didn't know. It was quite interesting. You a know, lot of that's been thrown at you, and I'm sorry. As far as the complicated nature of the belt goes, I'm pretty sure that's as complicated as it gets for this part of the show. <laughs> I just want to get all of that out there because, like, this is all stuff I'm. Some of it I knew about, some of it I was learning for the first time. Yeah. So I was regurgitating all, and I just want to uh, take it all in. I want to just regurgitate it back out of you because I'm that kind of person. I learn a new fact. Who can I tell about this? Look, I'm smart. Here's a fact that I know. You fill up, you fill up your brain like a sponge, and you squeeze it out on the podcast. Before I go back to the <laughs> WCW title, can I say no one WCW? You basically gave the rights to the. NWA belt back but kept a big gold and NWA brought back the 10 minutes of gold that led to actually another infamous wrestling moment because they said what can we do what territories do we have left oh Eastern Championship Wrestling <laughs> so they held a tournament won by Shane Douglas what did Shane Douglas do as soon as he got the belt he started listing off NWA champions and said they can all kiss my ass threw the belt down to go and sell the ECW champion which the representatives of the NWA there they didn't know that was going to happen <laughs> Paul Heyman, Todd Gordon, and fucking Shane Douglas all knew about it. And he's got that. Then they went to become extreme. The belt was taken off him. Apparently, the guys from, who were from the NWA were very pissed off about it. <laughs> but the the ECW wanted to lead the NWA anyway, so they didn't care. And then they would go on later on in the year, and an actual NWA champion would be crowned. It was Chris Candido who actually became the champion what first. Was it? Who would then drop it, I believe, not long after that in '95 to Dan Severn, who would hold it for over four years. That's Dan Severn, man. Yeah, including carrying it through his very brief WWF run. Hey, that's Dan Severn. I know, man. He's cool. He's cool. I'm just saying. And, you know, he held that belt for four years. Mm -hmm. I've just got to say, Roman's got a teeny bit of catching up to do, hasn't he? Well, he's he's like 1,400-odd days, so Roman... Roman's got some time. That's the real record everyone wants to talk about in breaking. Like, no, but... We for now until you reach that record, we acknowledge we acknowledge Dan Severn. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Do you know that was Dan Severn to me is a lot like I have a love for Dan Severn the way I have a love for Steve Blackman. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? You know, nay pish, nay gimmick, just a guy. Just a you guy. know, just a guy with a tash. You hear him talking in interviews, he seems like the nicest guy. Dan Seville. Uh, mm. You hear him talking, he has that suburban dad vibe about him, you know? How, how do you mean? He's just like, big moustache, very nice sounding guy. He seems like the kind of guy you'd, you'd chat to, who'd live next door to you, chat to. You never know, he'd probably kill you and rip your arms out and beat you to death with them. So like, as long as you're fighting with him, he'll sit and have a beer with you. If you're a prick, he'll kill you. He's a kind of guy, like... He could he could be in that those like taken style films like oh a mild mannered guy you've you've threatened my family I'm going to kill everyone for the next ninety minutes. I bet he doesn't drink Bud Light. No. <laughs> so that kind of film like you see like oh here's this mild mannered family guy oh his family's in danger he's going to spend the next hour killing literally everyone who comes in his path. <laughs> Honestly, that's that's talking about what happened to the big gold bell itself. Being, Let's do We recognise the NWA title and uh, the international title. So, what happened to the actual WCW? I never recognised champion because Flair is stripped of the belt in July. So, okay, the match at Great American Bash is going to crown a new champion. Could be new four. one. It's going to be 
Lex Luger versus Barry Windham in a steel cage. Why? Oh, well, well... Cause. Lex Luger was already the number one contender because he was US champion at the same time. That was back in the days where the WCW US champion would automatically become the number one contender. Mm-hmm. And Barry Windham was like, oh, he's the... Because he's the number two contender all of a sudden. So he got put in there. He was a reliable hand, basically. He got put in there. Well, Barry Windham, from what I've seen of him when he, you know... Was Barry Windham. Mm-hmm. I liked him. Mm-hmm. I thought he was decent. Yeah. Well, you did. Actually, you could technically see he had history with Luger. You know, both members of the Four Horsemen. And everything. You know, Windham was in the second incarnation of the Horsemen, and so one of the was, and, and one of the more famous incarnations of if it. If I might ask, you might know this. Who was in the original Horsemen? The original four are Flair, Anderson, Tully, and uh, Arn Anderson. Tully Blanchard and Ole Anderson. So, Anderson's Tully Blanchard. Flair. Flair. And then, I don't know if J.J. Dillon joined as the manager in the first iteration of the second one, but in the second one iteration is those original first three, but replaced Ole with Barry Windham. And that's the one that everyone everyone seems to see the second version as the most definitive version of that. Sort of like the way people see the DX. Yeah, like the DX army in a way. But... Then he did well, but most versions had at least one or both of Anderson and Flair. Let, let me ask you this. See, in WCW, and yeah. WCW was still a company, mm-hmm. what was the final grouping of the Four Horsemen? Well, there would be one where it, it was... Uh, well, three of, the, three of the four were ones who were in the, the previous version, because in '95 they did a new version of the Horsemen where it was Flair, Anderson... Benoit, Brian Pillman. Then Pillman left to go to the WWF. I, see, I knew, I knew uh, you see, like, Benoit was in it, but yeah. I don't know Pillman was in it. Yeah, but then, so then they, then they swap him out with Mongol and Michael yeah. uh, for ages, and for a while for 96, 97, then they kind of drift apart. Flair has that dispute with WCW, so leads for a little bit and comes back. Yeah. And then, so Ar- then Anderson's not allowed to wrestle anymore because of injuries and everything. Was he the same the same kind of situation as uh, Rick Rude? I think it was his, his was a neck issue with Anderson. But, but then Anderson basically for this brief iteration of the new Four Horsemen was basically doing the J.J. Dillon role, being the outside guy and the talker for the group. So then Flair would come back with this new version of Horsemen where it would be him, Benoit and Mongo, and Mongo again. But the fourth role would actually be offered to uh, Dean Malenko. Oh, a man of a thousand holds. They did tease a version of the Davies in 97 before the group took a brief break where when Anderson got injured, he offered his spot as enforcer to Kurt Henning when Kurt Henning came in. And then they were going to team him up for the War Games match against NWO. But then uh, Buddy Henning would then turn like, aha, I actually sided with the NWO. <laughs> was there not an incarnation of the Four Horsemen that had a Luger? Yeah, he was in, in back in the day easily. I think it was... I think he might have replaced Wyndham or something like that. He may have been there as US champion as well. Yeah. So that's where the history between the two. They, the Horsemen were technically a face for a little while and had Sting in it. And then, obviously, as everyone used to do it, they betrayed Sting and became heels again. And that mm. was... Was that Surfer Sting? Or... Yeah, Surfer Sting. Yeah. That, that further added on to the ever multi-year rivalry that would exist between Sting and Surfer Flair. Sting had assistance from Robocop at one point. I think that, that thing with Robocop comes shortly after... Is leaving of the horseman where he's like gonna fight Flair that pay view. Aha, we've locked you in a cage. What? Robocop is here. <laughs> JR tries his best to sell that with some sort of seriousness, but he, even he couldn't do it. How, how, can, how could you? Mm-hmm. Seriously. 
How could you? No. That's kind of like in the same vein of, it was me, Austin. It was me all the time. Like, actually, actually, JR makes that moment for me because as soon as he goes, he was me, Austin, JR feels like he wasn't told about it and he's reacting the same. Oh, I am betrayed. Oh, JR uh, is acting like all of us at home who feel disappointed. Goes, ah, oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> I remember, ah, like, oh, son of a bitch. That, you mean it's no Undertaker? That, that, that makes it for me, that. <laughs> Oh, G- I just a imagine at one point if JL was Scottish, he'd be like, ah, oh, Jesus, what? Yeah. <laughs> what a pish. <laughs> ah, so, the history between that they've been building on between Luger and Flair, that necessitated a cage. You know, Flair was always in cage matches back in the day, all like, keep the horsemen out, got to put them in a cage. Mm. Now you had a situation where these two were having a match, they didn't need a cage. And then, yeah, the Great American Bash in 81, which is, uh, not a really well-remembered pay-per-view. If you look at the Ender card, you can see why. What was the under? Is that the paper we were just about to talk about? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So well, what was the undercard? Well, we had Austin, uh, I mean, we, I think it was Terry Taylor against... Is this pre or post-Hollywood Bond, Austin? Pre. Pre-Hollywood pre Bond. I can't remember who their team would be. They were teaming a big scaffold match, which uh, had a capture the flag element in it. Those matches always seemed incredibly sketchy to me. You had, I can't remember what he was called, but you had Baron Perlin and this new mask character, which was the classic old school thing of, oh, this wrestler few, he's been humiliated. Oh, look, he's coming back in a mask. We're all going to pretend we don't know it's him under there. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he was, he was fighting a heel Johnny B. Bad, managed by Teddy Long. Johnny B. Bad, that's Mark Merrill. Mark Merrill, right. That was his character that the WWF couldn't get. But then, besides Perlman under this mask being the babyface character, he yells to the camera, Johnny, don't be bad. Johnny be gay, <laughs> and then and then loudly chants starts trying to start a chant, starts shouting sun out so the chants will chant it at Johnny. I'm not going to repeat the word he chooses to get the crowds to chant. But Is, does it start with an F and start end with a T? Yeah. Like ah, uh, baby faces in the nineties. Is it closely resembling what the 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 terminology for a bundle of sticks? I don't know if that's I didn't know that was a thing, but yeah, yeah. You know, kind of things they would shout at gold dust back in the day, maybe. But basically, yeah. I got. Yeah, I can say it. Yeah, you can say it. But yeah, you got you got the crowd to chant that. Uh, Johnny B. Bad. Faggot, faggot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's people that are saying that about Little Richard, so I mean, if we want to go close to the character. Yeah, but it's like still weird to look at. But anyway. Oh, you, Puffy Willitash. You had Kevin Nash and his Oz character fighting Ron Simmons. That was that fucking green thing, right? Like, yeah. it was. I've only seen like pictures of that, and I'm glad I've never seen anything other than pictures of that. You had, uh, you had the Rock and Roll Express falling out after Ricky Morton turned heel. He was now Sir Richard Morton. <laughs> who joined the, a group called the York Foundation with his manager, Alexandra York, played by Terry Reynolds. Oh. Mm. That before she was... Yeah, before she would have went to the WWF. Ah, before she went to the WWF and went, you mean all I have to do is be a whore and you'll pay me? Cool. I mean, I and mean, WCW <coughs> is where she and Dustin obviously met and everything. I think she worked in, like, the makeup. Except when he was the natural. I think she was, in, I think she was originally part of the makeup in, in that department and then got an on-screen kind of role. So... And uh, Dusty Rhodes apparently was not a fan of hers, 
So uh, I wonder just, why. Justin being with her was a bit, of course, sort of great tension between the two for some years. Yeah. Like, come on. You're humping that. Come on, you'll, get, you'll catch something. So, WC... Anyway, so it was not a great show. And then the main event comes, which we're, talk, we're going to talk about now. Barry Windham and uh, Lex Luger in a cage. Where the, there are fans of like Luger in here who are clearly rooting for him. But there are also, as the cage is being set up and the bell's ringing, you hear chants of, We want flair! And nature boy! Nature boy! That's what I said in my notes. I said, right away, fans chant, We want flair! Yeah. I heard that, like, it it kind of trailed off after the first sort of five minutes or so. Because I'd be honest with you, watching the match myself, I thought, Huh. Luger never got to wrestle like that in the WWF. I remember watching thing like it's an okay kind of match, but no, Luger did good. I uh, liked Luger in it, but it doesn't have the feel of a world title match. No, like it, there's one spot they properly used the cage for because it's a case of like they didn't even bother backstage. I think like we're not in a feud that needs a cage. Let's not bother using the cage. Just makes you think why is it a cage match? Yeah, like they really stall at the start of this match. It's very slow they to really, start off with. We, we really do. This would have been about a year or so before Luger's yeah. F debut, wouldn't it? Yeah, because like he he'll have the Vignette Mania, Mania 8. And then he'll get in that motorcycle ice, which leads to the titanium plate being put in his elbow. Mania 8, where he's wearing his world's gym shirt and drinking his glass of milk. Can I talk to you about the belt they've got here for this? So, this wasn't the belt that they were going to end up wearing as champion. They'd ordered a new WCW belt to be made. It wasn't ready in time, and apparently this belt that they used was an old belt that Dusty Rhodes had from the now-defunct Championship Wrestling from Florida, with a gold-coloured plate tacked with the World WCW Champion over it. Yeah. So it was a makeshift belt before the actual belt was ready, but the belt... So, is that like sort of a more glorious version of the GFW belt? I don't think glorious is the word to use. I, I'm trying to be nice to the belt that we see in this match. Yeah, this isn't the belt we see in this match. This is the belt they'll go on to use for a couple of years before they use the big gold again. Yeah, I remember that one. I think I've seen Sting hold on to some of my yeah. early WCW tapes. Yeah, it's uh, well, it's not the big gold, is it? No, no. But I mean, during this match, and all Jr. was talking like Jr. was like fucking pumping yeah. Luger up something chronic to the crowd, talking about his, you know. His formerly great team with Wyndham and, mm-hmm. you know, his, oh, he has a seven-year pro football career before wrestling, mm. you know? And I, I think that was a common trait among many wrestlers. I mean, Ron Simmons, yeah. The Rock, you know? I mean, Law would always take the piss out of TR for feeling the need to talk about any sort of sporting background that any wrestler yeah. would have. Oh, he's like, oh, he has a seven-year pro football career. Was it five? He's like, was young up and going five years in the business at that point. I know. I believe, you know. Oh, and it's amazing how little he, how little he would learn in these many years. Well, I, I believe that's a little harsh on him because, I, like I say, I watched him in this match, mm-hmm. and I, I thought he was good in this match. And I have seen footage of his famous match he had with Bruiser Brody, mm-hmm. which was funny enough also a cage match. And I think the only thing that held that much up was Bruiser Brody being a little temperamental. Yes, <laughs> you know. I think I, I think you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but uh, Bruiser Brody, I think was, I don't know if he was upset with the way the match was supposed to finish or something, but he just left the match. Yeah, you know, and 
No, I think he, he basically went mental and caused Luger to be like, I'm getting out of here. Yeah, <laughs> Luger leaves the match. I, re- I really must, uh, I really want really would like to look back on a few Bro- Bruiser Brody matches. That's a guy we should do a, a retrospective on, mm. the Bru- Bruiser Brody, because he's an interesting dude. You know? so, maybe, maybe cut out the last portion of his mm. career, you know, because... No one wants to fucking talk about that shit, but let's talk about the positive, you know? But, yeah, this this match for the, the title, it's, it's very slow for me and Sarah, then they do keep coming to the crowd a lot here. I mean, yeah. and there are people who chant for Luger, and when he get, first gets winning them up for the torch ride, there is a hell of a response. I, 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 I don't, I never did like that move. Yeah. You know, I never really, you know, like some wrestle moves you yeah. see and you think, no, oh, and that just looks... It's like watching Cena do a fucking STF, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, come on, man. Where he's basically, like, he's basically touching nothing on the guy and he's going, tap, tap. Or, like, well, put the fucking move on him, Wendy, mate. Or, like, watching <laughs> Steiner as he got more muscly, being able to pry less and less pressure whenever he did the Steiner recliner. He's like, walk, sit down, walk, put my arms around, sit, and relax. Yeah. Kind of like the same, I think Steiner as he got bigger and bigger and bigger mm-hmm. was kind of in the same situation that Arnold Schwarzenegger is when he went and done the first Conan movie. Mm-hmm. He apparently actually had to lose muscle mass yeah. because he was too big to swing a fucking sword. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like holding the thing and he was like, yeah. <laughs> you know? and you're like, man, tone it down a little. Yes. Tone it down. <laughs> so... There was a cool spot. The one time they use the cage is like he gets him up on the torture rack. Wyndham gets his foot and bounces off the cage to flip himself out of the torture yeah. rack. It was pretty cool. And then, it, but again, like I said, this match was too slow for me to be a move. Don't like Luger gets thrown off the cage. Wyndham goes for an elbow. Everything, but like it just felt like it was dragging in points for me. And then there was it comes to the finish, where Luger's meant to be turning. Yeah, so what the fuck? Luger's meant to be turning heel here. But the fans cheer him anyway because I don't yeah. think they realise this was maybe either. So you have Mr. Hughes come out with a uh, Harley race. I think I said, I let you say that Harley race and Mr. Hughes? Mm-hmm. What? Like, and it's no Harley race. I was cool with Harley race, but I never ever understood the point of Mr. Hughes. I mean, he's either wrestling a match on occasion mm-hmm. or else he's just there. And you're like, I mean, classic example. Like, when he came out with Triple H, uh-huh. that match, and I think at that point Triple H had been, Triple H and Sean had been pushing and pushing for China. Yeah. At the time when they were like, the Vince like, come on, big fucking chick, she can beat people up. And Vince was like, no, 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 no woman being a fucking, no, 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 no. Uh-huh. We'll get this big husky dude here, he come out and be a guy, and he comes out with Mr. Hughes, and even at WrestleMania, I was like, who's this cunt? You're like, <laughs> you know? Allegedly, <laughs> They, they tease like oh well fine don't sign China but you know WCW would probably sign her and then that's what convinced Vince to get her in you know mm. but I think I tell the little WCW take her oh no you see <laughs> the thing but I think probably the reason people don't realise was the heel time because he doesn't do anything necessarily heelish heelish no like the referee is distracted by Mr. Hughes race basically goes up and says it's time it's time well at least that's what JR tells you because I can't hear a fucking thing that race is saying no I heard it I heard it but Luger goes and clubs uh, when in the back. But, like, it's not as if he's got the titanium thing in anymore or he was past the weapon. He just hit him normally with an elbow and then hits the pile driver, which is a devastating move. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's done it well. 
in racing the form, this will this will win you the title. So he just hits a, a devastating move, albeit not a really illegal one at that point, and wins it. The only heelish thing he does is he leaves with a heel. So maybe that's why people, if he'd been passed a weapon by race, yeah, it was made a bit more obvious. People would realise that oh, like, oh, he's doing a bad oh, thing. He's, he's a doing bad naughty thing. He must be a bad guy. Boo you, boo you, boo you, boo this man. So. Luger wins the title, he eventually gets the actual new WCW title, and we go on for the next few months with uh, Harley Race as his manager. Cool. His next high-profile title defence would be at Halloween Havoc, a two out of three falls match, which he would win two falls to one over <coughs> Ron Simmons. So Ron Simmons' title in the following year didn't come out nowhere. They started teasing after he split up with uh, Butch Reed. His Butch Reed would end up going to... We end up going to the WWF after that. Butch Reed, fun fact for people that don't know, was originally going to be the person to beat Ricky Steamboat for the IC tail instead of Honky Tonk Man. Really? But, but he missed the taping. Oh, dick. <laughs> he oh, legit. Well. He, missed, he, he, was, he had car issues, he missed the taping, so he went, ah, uh, get that prick who dresses like Elvis. <laughs> get that prick who dresses like Elvis. I mean, I wasn't there, but I'd like to think that's the words they used. Dude, I, I wouldn't imagine more that. In the next couple of months, I don't really think Honky Tonk Man's record's going to stand. No, I believe it's. I believe there's an actual date that he needs to hold it past to get it. I think September sixth is the date. He'll do it. He'll do it. He'll do it. He's come on. He's the ring general. Mm-hmm. And if he can take off his coat with that much class, he'll hold on to that belt. The main other person who gets a few shots at uh, Luger was Rick Steiner, but that's. Not much else to say about Luger holding the belt through 1991. No. He would go to Japan for for New Japan's annual January 4th Tokyo Dome show, defeating Masahiro Chono in a cross-promotional match after 15 minutes. Cool. But uh, would lose it to Sting at uh, Super Bowl 2 on February 29th. February 29th. So, look, Sting had held the big gold belt and been taken NWA champion before then, but this would be his first official WCW title reign for Sting. Mm. I'll just pause that. We went, and now we're 13. That was the chip. There we, we go. Did good. So, the belt has never run the waste of the man Nick Alstein, the, the, <laughs> the Hulk Hogan, technically, of WCW, you know, the big baby face and everything. Yeah, until the Hulk Hogan actually turned fucked up. Yes. And, uh, you know, I've been looking at his defences here, mostly TV and house show defences. He would actually get a defence in against Steve Austin. and Really? Yes, one or two of those. He got one against Arn Anderson on a TV show. Stone Cold didn't win then? No. Bitch. But Paul, it's time. It's time. It's Vader time. Because <laughs> <laughs> we know we get to talk about Vader being booked like a monster. Ah, you mean the way he should have been booked? Mm-hmm. Fucking WWE. Well, even WWE, WWE fucking F. Yes, Big Van Vader, as he was called, or he would later on to be called the man they call Vader. Big Van Vader, who used to come to the ring wearing a big spooky helmet, and he'd be like, Rawr. He would unseat a <laughs> thing at the Great American Bash 92 for the title, and eventually he would get Har- uh, Harley Race as his manager. Yeah. As he would go through. He was a bit like a monster when he came into the WCW. He would, for the next year and a bit, he would be primarily the main heel of the promotion. The main man. Because he'd come in from Japan, from his time in New Japan, where his, where his first big matches was almost causing a riot when he squashed the Nokia in about six minutes. <laughs> uh, and then also he'd had time as IWGP heavyweight champion. 
His only other world title after WCW would uh, ninety nine after his WF when he would go to Old Japan and win their top belt for a while. <laughs> but he wouldn't win an, after w, his three WCW titles. He wouldn't hold another world title in uh, America, as far as I I remember. Even though maybe around nineteen ninety six he should have, and he was planned to, and planned to until a certain Mister Drug Addict got all pissy with him. So I don't know if thing with injury was a kayfabe one, but there was an episode of Main Event not long after Vader's win, where they would draw a random lottery to replace an injured thing in a title match against uh, against Vader, and Ron Simmons was chosen. This was taped on August second, but didn't air till the sixteenth, where Ron Simmons creates history being by being the first recognised black world heavyweight champion. Yeah, and given the southern areas that WCW went, to see when that moment where catching him with a big power slam. Pins them and there's people jumping up in the front row all the time. Yes. Like, I even saw a video, I don't know how long ago it was, but like, of Biggie and Bobby Lashley, themselves former WWE champions, talking about the importance of seeing Ron, Ron Simmons, Simmons win on the yeah. and how inspired they were by him. And Bobby Lashley even shows, like, hell, that's still somebody who's I used to use the Dominate and everything. Like, he was clearly a big influence yeah. on me. But Bobby Lashley used to use Dominate. Uh, uh, Bobby Lashley, his first run. The company yeah. were transitioned to using the spear, which he still uses now. And mm. Well, doesn't he use a, some kind of power move like the Dominator as well? Well, he does the heart lock. Aye, but I think, I think he does a, a kind of a spine roster move, kind of like what Ronson used to do when he used to pick him up, kind of slam. Yeah, yeah, well, that move is cool, man. It doesn't look like it fucks you up as much as it used to do when Ron Simmons would do it. Well, you see, when Ron Simmons did it, he meant it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just to ask public enemy or especially if you were fucking Ahmed Johns like fuck you <laughs> yeah but let us say just to ask public enemy mm-hmm. Leno a DR back when he could be a bit more high pitched in his voice before the bell was like Ron they got him with a power slam Simmons has won the title Simmons has won the title <laughs> <laughs> when did, what what pay-per-view did Simmons win that well it wasn't on pay-per-view it was on TV it was on fucking TV taped August 2nd aired on the 16th it was on WCW main event this is in the pre-Nitro days okay let me ask you this what pay-per-view hopefully did he defend it at he held it for much of 1992 so he would get on uh, defenses on his uh, on TV shows he would defend against likes of Tracy Smothers he would get a, a, a rematch with Flair uh, with, uh, with Vader and a class of this champion show, which is kind of a TV like special. Uh, he would he would retain it over Cactus Jack. Here's a random one. He's big people defends a Halloween Havoc ninety two. Uh, I get you to retain it in twelve minutes over the Barbarian. Nice. Yeah, uh, you'd have a couple of matches with Bobby Eaton, Steve Williams, Paul Orndorff for some reason. <laughs> And then the next three title changes for the WCW title. Mr. Atrophy. The Atrophy. Uh, the next three title changes, I shit you not, happen on house shows. What the fuck? So he didn't even get to lose it on a fucking pay-per-view or a televised show? Mm-mm. That is fucking ridiculous. That just shows at the time. And I don't mean to, I don't mean to bring fucking race or politics into it or nothing. Mm-hmm. But that just shows how much disrespect... Mm-hmm. Especially when they made such a big fucking deal, like, yeah. oh my god, he's won the title, he's won. If you're so excited about the fucking man winning it, mm-hmm. give him the respect to fucking. Yeah. At least let him lose it on a paper fucking view. Yeah, I know. Lose man make some fucking money, you know what I mean? I know. That disrespect, man. And also, the fact that he came to the WWF mm-hmm. as a former WCW world champion. Mm-hmm. And he didn't even win an IC belt. He never won a singles title in the dub. I know. 
I mean, I don't even think like Farouk Levin won that a hardcore belt when it was fucking getting through about everybody. He, the one the closest he got to the world belt, he got a match against the Undertaker at King of the Ring. Yeah, I remember that. It's only served to then lead to an angle of falling out where Savio and Chris got fired. He rebuilt the nation with like your cameras and uh, yeah, he, he, and re- everything. He rebuilt the nation properly. Yes. Then again, also led to gang war. So you know, there was also negatives. Well, yeah, what, you didn't you didn't have any pull for the body quiz or the, the DOA? No. You know, with, with fake Taker crushing the two Nazis. I know, it's weird. Crush, you know, gets put into a group which is inspired by the Black Panthers, a very well-known civil rights group based on the 60s and 70s, fighting for equality for, for African-Americans. No, I, I don't think it was the Black Panther. I think it was made based on the nation Islam kind of thing. Well, yeah, but I think the dress... Really dressing, you see pictures of Black Panther, like they also dress very similar to the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the leather and everything. Like those kind of groups and everything, and uh, what Fruit was preaching in his, his promos and everything. Saying, saying things that were honest, but yeah, but in WF fashion, he was doing it as a heel. And then gets him put into a group with two real life fucking Nazis. Yeah, what the fuck? I know. Anyway. So, Vader would win the title towards the end of December at um, a um, house show in Baltimore, Maryland. Against Ron Simmons, I Yes, uh, got a brief, squ- squeezed in a brief title defense against Cactus Jack on an episode of WCW main event before swapping it on a European tour. He would lose it to Sting at a house show in Wembley in London. Wembley mm-hmm. would be uh, the arena, not the stadium. Yeah. But then would lose, win it back uh, within a week at a house show in Dublin. So... This would now be Vader on his third and final reign as WCW champion. So with, with title playing hot potatoes at the time then? Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming it was to build up live event attendance. But uh, this third reign would be as long as I would go through most of 1993. With his main rival being, of course, Cactus Jack. Yeah. Which he'd had many matches against. Uh, the most famous being in late 93. But... Uh, he had a brief stop in that feud where he would actually fight against the debuting Davy Boy Smith. Ooh. Where Davy Boy came in for a brief run WCW after leaving, after basically being forced to leave in '92 because of his because of his his horm his growth hormones. So he went from winning the belt in Wembley, losing it in about October, it was October or November, I think, to Shawn Michaels left before. Uh, Left before Survivor Series, where I'm pretty sure he was meant to fight either Papa Shango or the Mountie or someone of that ilk, and that match got cancelled. So then he left, comes in in the spring of '93, would be automatically because he's a babyface, get made the best pal of Sting. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he would, he would, uh, he would fight Vader in a match. We won by DQ at Slamboree before losing a no DQ match. Uh, or, sorry, a match where the championship could change hands via disqualification at the Clash of the Champions 24. But uh, Vader would make it out as champion on that occasion. He'd also squeeze in a title defence on a Lumberjack match on WCW Saturday night against Ricky Steamboat. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, then we lead into the into December. So when Flair, I mentioned Flair coming back. Before he won the NWA or then would become the WCW International title, he had a brief thing where he couldn't wrestle a lot. He was done or something, or compete from Derry. Yeah. So he just show up doing his uh, Flair for the Gold talk show segments. Yeah. The most famous iteration of Flair for the Gold is, of course, the episode where Sting and Davy Boy have their partner who will shock the world. Oh, for goodness' sake! Yes. 
That shot matter segment is to flare for the goal, but the rockers are to the barber shop. And that if you didn't remember those iconic segments, hanging pinning on that talk show, you wouldn't remember the individual behind them had a talk show. Because would everyone remember the barber shop segments of the barber shop thing where the rockers never happened? Poor Fred Altman. Hmm. I know. Poor Fred Altman. I mean, you go through being tugboat to typhoon to the shockmaster. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be honest with you. Looking at that glittery helmet he was wearing. If if he had got through that thing without falling a flat on his fucking arse, as Stevie would say, as soon as people actually looked at him, people were like, he's not intimidating, he looks at he's wearing glitter on his helmets. Yeah. Where did you buy your costume, Sonny? Did you did you make it yourself? Did you get some glue and some really? glitter and make it yourself? Did oh, you? Oh look, he's made his cell a shred off of this Tuttle's costume. Oh, oh bless him. Oh, oh bless no, him. I fell down. Look, give him a wee drop of sweeties. He's yeah. alright. Oh boy. That's <laughs> <laughs> <Pish> we talk. <laughs> that became his character though afterwards. He became basically a bumbling idiot, dressing as a more of as a builder. He took the helmet off and become more of a builder. He weirdly got the win for his team in that fucking match, in the War Games match. God. Anyway. So. I, do you know a uh, wrestler you could meet? That's the guy I'd like to meet is Fred Altman. I'm sure, sure. He, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, he's still. I was going to say, is he he's not, still alive. I was going to say, I forgot. He was his former partner. Yeah, John Tent is sadly passed away. Fred Altman's still going. Yeah. I'd love to meet him and get me signed some of my. My early stuff, because I think one of my magazines has a good spread on the natural disasters, so. Nice. But, uh, but, Flair wasn't wrestling, but then he started wrestling again towards the end of 93, you know, having that brief thing with the WCW International title. Now, the feud going into Starcade 93 was supposed to be Vader versus Sid. Uh, a feud that we didn't get properly in the WWF, we got that match at, uh, at Buried Alive, which was crap. But they could have had a better match, which I, never, I think was planned a few times in 97, 96 for the WF after that main games match, but never eventually happened. Yeah. But it was meant to happen here, but uh, then the R. Anderson scissors incident happened with Sid. Sid stabbed him or he stabbed well, Sid? Well, they got into a fight where Sid grabbed a pair of scissors and started cutting at Anderson's arms or something like that. So he didn't officially stab him, but he cut him badly with with the scissors. Who, over the years, and from what you've heard of stories, who was the one at fault? I think it was like... Sid or really was, a little 50-50. I think most of it is on Sid, but Anderson didn't help the situation. Like, Sid was mouthing off. I think he said something about Flair or whatever. Or he said something about smaller guys, everything, and started mouthing off. And Anderson basically talked up, trying to, like, shut him up and put him in his place. No, like, don't you talk about people that way? And Sid was uh, like, fuck you. And then Sid got aggressive and everything, so... Anderson clapped back at him, but it was said to start off in the aggression. They got a bit of a brief scuffle. Sid went away, didn't calm down, went and grabbed something like some scissors and everything, and then went to start more shit with Anderson. And Anderson also grabbed something because he felt like, oh fuck, this guy's going mad at him. He's going to start, uh, start he, some shit. If he's grabbing something, I'm grabbing something. Yeah. That kind of backstage, well, also Anderson is well respected. They had to kind of fuck up people's backstage perception of Sid for a little while after that incident. It'd be, bad, it'd be bad if Sid, when Sid grabbed the scissors of Anderson, he grabbed like a wooden spoon or something. Like, I'll have you! <laughs> a couple of the worst of wrestling on hand who made sure to quickly end the theory because they didn't want a end. I'm sure I've heard one or two guys say, like, we didn't want a Bruiser Brody kind of incident here because mm. things weren't there. And he, if 
Same with Man, if he could have probably caught like an artery or whatever of Anderson, then he could have played very badly. issue. Mm-hmm. So, Sid got moved out of the match and Flair was put in in his place. And they used it kind of as a symmetry thing because I, and we didn't have to review it, but I did watch the match. Yeah. Sid, Fader, Max and Starcade. They had a match at Class of the Champions, which ended by DQ, which then led into the match at Starcade, which was 21 minutes. But they added some symmetry because 10 years earlier, the very first Starcade in 83, Flair won in the main event, the subtitle of that Starcade being a Flair for the gold. Mm. And Flair won his second ever NWA title. Uh, defeating Harley Race, who was in the corner of Vader. So they had some symmetry here. Wow. And for the match, they made it a title versus career match, where obviously Flair would have to retire had he lost. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, had, had Tony Schiavone and Jesse Ventura as a commentary team. I know, I know. You know one of the weird reasons that Tony, uh, Jesse Ventura ended up leaving WCW? He didn't like the fact that they were bringing in Hulk Hogan. Because he was, he was <laughs> always... Hogan was a bitch at letting bits them out. The Vince was trying to start a union. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he didn't... Also, like Hogan, so he's already having issues with that. And then on the back of the beach, people he should, he should have formed a tag team with the Iron Sheik. R.I.P. Iron Sheik. Yeah. We didn't. We never did mention that. Last news we only just did here, mm-hmm. pre-recording. So to say that because that's the second former WWF champion to pass away not long ago. We lost a uh, superstar Billy Graham as well. Yeah, yeah, it's a bitch. But you know what? Eighty-one years old. Uh-huh. Decent innings, that's good innings. You know what? I'll miss watching this fucking YouTube thing where he's just calling Hogan a motherfucker. We talk about Billy Graham, about Ventura and Hogan, even Dusty Rhodes have all said that they took a lot of elements from Billy Graham for their character. He was one of the first popular big loudmouth heels. Yeah, those, those guys took elements. Hogan stole his whole character. But he, Billy Graham held the belt for 296 days, the WF which was. Compared to heels in that era, he was he was the heel version of Bruno by comparison to some other heel champions back in those days. Yeah, and what's the longest amount of time Hogan held at any one point? Well, he held it for four years at one point. Fuck it, did he? Yeah, his first reign went from January 84 till about February or so, when they did the main event to Hebner's angle thing where Andrew tried to sell the belt. I'm just joking, like, compared to other people, because, like, Stan Stajak, as a heel, wins the belt, holds it for, like, nine days. Ivan Koloff holds it for, like, a couple of weeks. Fucking Jesse, uh, sorry, Billy Green gets it for, like, 200-odd days, which is the longest reign. He tried to, he was getting popular at that point, he tried to get them, to convince them to turn face, and then Vince went, nah, we want you to lose it to Bob Backlund. And Billy Graham probably went, really? This guy? This, this wee fucker? This brick. Yeah, well, anyway, Flair versus Vader... Yeah. Also, like, Ventura, before we get the match, Ventura allegedly like he was very unprofessional. He's commentary for Bash of the Beach '94. Every so often, he'd be asked about the upcoming main event. He goes, "I don't know." I'll ask Flair, like, well, "I already told you what I think of that." So WCW cheered him out, like, "What the fuck? I know you don't like the Hogan's here, but you need to pick it up because you're an announcer. Like, you're being very unprofessional on commentary there, Jesse." Mm. So he got cheered out for that. That led to him eventually leaving. Which by that point, they'd already hired Bobby Heenan, so they didn't need Jesse Ventura anymore. True, true. Oh, well, I've got to say, like, when, I, when I'm talking about this particular Flair v. Mm-hmm. Vader match, the career v. title, all I yeah. can say was that they're both legends. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? The match itself, I mean... It's, it's weird to watch Flair being the underdog babyface, isn't it? It really is, it really is, because you're so used to him being, you know, slick Rick. Yeah. Style and profile and limousine driving. Yeah, he does get... He does cheat once or twice... 
I love how he takes Jesse's chair. He doesn't, he doesn't know have full chairs. He gets one of those chairs you'd find in a school hall that he's had to sit on. <laughs> but like, he just cheat, but the fans cheer for it. And like, by that point, he's already called the dirtiest playing against. Like, ah, oh, it's on point for Flair. We, we'll forgive you for that. Aye, come on. You're only playing to your strengths. Come on, you're good. Oh, Rick, what are you like, you? Oh, you. <laughs> you're mad, carry on. That, that's slick, Rick, for you, pal. But yeah, but Flair's like battling for underneath Vader's being a hell of him. He gets all bloodier in the mouth to his player. Vader's going in the crowd like, who's the man? He ain't shit, I'm the man. Oh. And all that stuff. And basically, Flair eventually starts breaking him down with the leg, going back to the old view. When he locks in the figure four, the fucking reaction, because they're in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is yeah, that's Flair country. That's why Charlotte took the ring name Charlotte. It's called from the Queen City in our ring introduction, because you know, all connection to her daddy and everything. Yeah, she she loved her daddy. She does, and she's almost got as many titles as her daddy now. She appears backstage after this match where you see the two little kids. That's that's her and Reed. Yeah, yeah, that's and what that, I said. Like she was a little echo one. Yeah, and then fucking gormless looking David Flair in the background. Hmm. One day I want to be as I'll work. I'll be get overly pushed and still be a quarter of what my dad is. She's the dopey bastard. Ah, you're right in the background with a weird bluey like shirt. Aye, he always looked like a dopey bastard. The best thing that ever happened to him was when the Undertaker battered the fuck out of him. <laughs> dopey looking fuck. Poor, poor Flair. I know. And I don't mean David. <gasps> yeah, David, David, you prick. <laughs> yeah, daft looking gormless wank. Mm-hmm. Well, I see that, like, we see the end of that match when, when Flair's talking, you know what I mean? And, Surprisingly, he's he seems genuinely emotional. Mm-hmm. Well, which is really cool, you know. I mean, when you think about it, what he's been through the previous two years, he goes from one boss of the company telling him he can't be a main event anymore. He leaves, goes to the gets the title twice. But then Vince does say to him, you know, you probably won't be a champion again. Like, well, didn't say that, but like he was informing Flair they were going for the new generation thing. So I think Flair would have all like, got the treatment that Randy got and everything, like being a bit older than some of the other guys who were trying to push. Yeah, because at this point, I think Flair was in his late 30s, early 40s. Coming in his 40s. Flair's always looked at least 40 because of how he bleaches his hair. It's because of how he bleaches his hair. You know, like Steve I know, Martin. I know, I know. It's like Steve Martin having white hair. I never know how old Steve Martin is meant to be. Like, you could be 20, you could be fucking 60. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, and father, father of the bride, uh-huh. he was supposed to be in his 40s. Uh-huh. I'm almost 40 and I look about fucking 20, 30 years younger than Steve Martin does. I know. You know? So, Thank you very much, it's, it's breeding. You know? Anyway. <laughs> he, so he's been told basically he might end up being used as a guy to help get all younger guys over. That may be his only role. Like, no, I've I still got a lot to offer as a man there. Goes back and basically the fact that he's back in Starkey, back in Charlotte, in front of the fans he used to always be in front of. With the fans that still, that still love him, clearly. And he's there with his family and everything. He's because Flair, nowadays when you see him in interviews, even when he has his show up and cut a promo, he can't not cry anymore, but you can see, obviously, having a 20-odd minute match, wearing the belt back, being vindicated that you're still the man. Mm. It's, it's getting a lot of him. That's why Gene has to quickly go, oh, she's Mrs. She can't fucking talk. Sting, please come in here and save this segment, please. Yeah, yeah. I just, I remember when I saw it, and I, was, I seen the little one, mm-hmm. little, little, tiny fucking chick, and I was like, that's the queen. That's fucking Charlotte Flair. With, uh, with Reed right next to her. Sadly, Reed no yeah, longer. Yeah, sadly. But it's like, like, oh, there's Charlotte. There's Reed. There's Davy. Reed actually <laughs> would show up, you know, 
Flair disappeared for a bit in '98 was because like he said he claims he got approval to go watch he be do some amateur wrestling because uh, he was apparently very accomplished when he was younger read as an amateur wrestling and everything and basically they went no you, we told you you had to be at Thunder like no I told you ages ago I was going to this thing like no you didn't I did so I'm not showing up to Thunder yeah <laughs> so, but then we would show up once or twice to have a go at Eric Bischoff because of what he did to his dad <laughs> and still. So, from a young from being like ten years old or whatever, he had more wrestling and talking ability than David ever fucking would. Yeah, he will. And when he and when he grew up, did we? I think he was going to get into actual wrestling because he seemed to have more natural ability for it. And then sadly, he passed away. And Charlotte often said in interviews, part of the reason she got into it was to kind of honor Reed. Honor Reed as well as <laughs> yeah, wanting to be a wrestler. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a you know it's a sad yeah. It's it's a rather sombre kind yeah. of history with yeah. that family we've got, but you know what? Despite David, yeah. fucking legendary wrestling family. Mm-hmm. Excuse myself. Reed was a great wrestler. Yeah, a great potential Reed had. Yeah, you know Flair obviously is a fucking legend. Mm-hmm. Charlotte's a ball hair away from being a. I mean, she's a legend in her own right. Yeah. You know, women's revolution, fucking... I've got to say, her entrance is one of the most... Mm-hmm. You know, that is, that is a very flair entrance, you know what I mean? <laughs> Forgive me, now it seems to be woman who takes a holiday, because... No, a woman who takes a holiday and then just thumbs up and goes, that's right, I'm, I'm Charlotte. She loses the belt at Backlash last year to Ronda, buggers off, comes back, wins it immediately, carries it into Mania, loses it to Rhea, buggers off again. Yeah, she's like... If you need somebody to hold the belt and look awesome with it, right here. So, see, Becky tries that on occasion, Becky Lynch. She tries it on occasion, but she doesn't quite have the... She doesn't quite have the gravitas that Charlotte has. She doesn't have the flair, you could say. Yeah, very, very good. Uh Aha. She does not have the... Take your wages as I'm here all week. <laughs> I'm here till Thursday. <laughs> she does not have the flair <laughs> for victory. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, the match is all. I mean, flair breaks down the like the leg of of uh, Vader. Eventually, Vader goes for the insult, and then flair chops him, pulls him up, and again, big fucking reaction. Or then fucking confetti's coming down as it's his I feel sad about Vader. You have any, yeah, you got these three reigns. Never got to hold the big gold version of the WCW belt that old that old Vader. So it would have been nice on him. Very nice on him, yeah. Especially given how much smaller this WCW belt at the time was. Like it looked like a toy when like that's probably why he wasn't carrying it when he came in. Fucking Harley Race is holding it for him. The very fact that he's a three time world champion. Uh-huh. I respect on Vader, man. Mm-hmm. I know WWF. Mm-hmm. Treated him shitly, in my opinion, they treated him like garbage. But WCW didn't. You know, if he came in a year earlier in like '95, but I would love for them to reform a tie team that you had in Japan for a while. Him and Bam Bam Bigelow had a team. Yeah. Where Big Van Vader and Crusher Bam Bam Bigelow as like a big monster gaijin kind of team. Well, that's another guy we never treated right, in my opinion. Former ECW champion was Bam Bam Bigelow. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Didn't he win some championships in Japan too? I believe he was a Titan champion. I don't know if he ever held a big singles belt. I'll have to look into that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, look at uh, Bronson Reed has talked about his love of Bam Bam Bigelow. I think he came out at NXT TakeOver with a Bam Bam inspired gear with the flames and everything around yeah. it. Sing- so is that a hero of Bronson's? Yeah, I think so. That's terms cool. of a big man. People were talking, I mean, um, oh well. All I'll say is watch Raw and you'll see what I'm talking about. Like, there is positivity for Bronson. I'm not going to talk too much yeah, about it I and ruin it for you. Bronson had a good run in the New Japan's G1 before he came out there. He won it, one of these days, I'll have to show you one or two of his I, matches. What are you talking about? Bronson? It's Jonah. I when he was Jonah. When he was Jonah, he had a couple of great matches. He had a great match with uh, Josh Alexander. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, because he beats, he does beat. Because it's go kind of their main guy in one of the tournament matches, which gets him a match against them shortly after the tournament before he goes back to the E. And, and literally, the commentator are bigging up at the time and comparing him beating Okada to like, this is like when Vader beat Inoki way back in the day and everything. Mm. Wasn't exactly a squash like Vader's one, but the fact they were putting him in that sentiment is a big thing for him. Something else, for Jonah. Yeah, yeah. So Flair wins the belt, goes, carries the belt into 94. I love that when I was watching these WCW babies in the main events. We used to have fucking end credits, which was fucking especially this one. Where really? I had, yeah, I, I watched it through the interviews to the end, and like they have a story background for the Ducks of the Starcade one particularly. So it was like, are you trying to make it look like the fucking end crawl of Star Wars? And everything? it's fucking <laughs> Starcade you'd have to. <laughs> As a director, executive producer, like I, I made, I did the lights, whatever. I got yeah. Flair's coffee. I don't fucking. Uh, so Flair carries it into ninety four. Defeat, defeats Vader in a rematch at Super Brawl, a Thunder Cage match. Thunder Cage match. Don't know what that's fucking supposed to be. Uh, there was a weird bit where was the belt... cage match on an episode of Thunder? Well, it wasn't a thing anymore. <laughs> you know? It was, a, it was a cage match between Tina Turner singing the theme song for Mad Max, Beyond Thunderdome the whole time. <laughs> anyway. But uh, the belt would be briefly vacated after a double pin spot between Flair and Steamboat we'll then briefly reuniting that old rivalry. Yeah. Uh, on an episode of Saturday Night, but then it's Slambury. Oh, sorry. It was happening at Spring Stampede, but then it's on an episode of Saturday Night, Flair, we went it back and then go on to Slambury to retain it against his former horseman brother, uh, Barry Windham. And then, you remember I said we'd come back to what happened to the WCW International title? Yeah. Well, that time is now. We have we'll start singing a Cena song. I'm not going to start singing the Cena song. <laughs> Uh, it would have a clash of the champions 27 on June 23rd 1984 staying the international heavyweight champion would fight Flair the WCW champion in a unification match Ooh. but the winner would end up reclaiming the, the big gold belt as the WCW onto Sting randomly had Sensational Sherry as a face in his corner but as usual the only reason that partnership existed was so Sherry could portray him Flair could win the title and Flair could resume his position as a heel Flair is best way to heal because at, they already announced it before Clash Challenge they had a vignette about it because they need Flair on top as a heel who's coming into the company to reassume the face position one prick Hulk Hogan the only one thing I'll say about Ric Flair mm-hmm. and we've talked we've he basically been a Flair show but who I mean, cares I, I talked about that's why we shouldn't drink when we talk about Flair wearing a belt or just talking about Flair in general because he'd be dead by now the thing is though right Heel or face or in between. One thing I've always got for like Ric Flair. He's always been genuine as fuck. Yeah. He did. Like, 
when he, when he, like a classic example, right? And I know he spoke about it and said a lot. Of it was he said he said it was genuine. Yeah. But when he won that '92 Rumble, mm-hmm. you could tell it meant something to him. Like whenever, whenever something wrestling-wise significant happens to Flair, it matters to him. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? I'll never forget the first time I seen Rumble '92, and you see him doing that bit with a tear in my eye, and you're like, like, woo! <laughs> uh, my favorite part of that is when his voice almost cracks when he's taking a piss at Hogan. They call Hogan immoral. Immoral! <laughs> his voice really cracks and goes <laughs> But then this is the second match. Bash of the Beach 94. What Bill is one of the biggest matches that I was at the time. One of the biggest pay-per-view buy rates, of, no, no, the biggest pay-per-view buy rate to that point. 225,000 pay-per-view wow. buy Just on the buzz of Hogan. And the fans are very much buying Hogan in this one. And is this not worth third? Because we've talked about two already. Well, yeah, well, this was meant to be our third, but it's meant to be our second, but technically our third, yes. Yeah. yeah so we went one, three, two. Yeah, Michael <laughs> Buffer doing the big ring introduction. You had Jimmy Hart and Mr. T and Hogan's car. You had yeah, Shaq I, there at ringside. I said that. I, I, I believe I wrote this very thing. I said, I, I, I will give you my notations if, if I please, may. Please do. Please do. I said, Hogan's lead flair, but I shall be. I said, I can't wait to see how much Hogan doesn't do and how much Flair carries him through the match. I don't believe I was surprised. And I was like, we seem to need Shaq, Mr. T and Jimmy Hart to distract from the fact he'll do five moves if that. Stall a lot, Hulk up, then when. You know, I had sad face, you know. <laughs> I just wasn't having it. And I was like, God damn it. The announcer should just say, oh God, oh Hogan, he's so awesome. You know? He's oh, no Fucking Bobby Heenan wasn't. Yeah. Bobby Heenan has always hated Hulk Hogan. Then it was like, I was like, Flair was, I mean, Flair was a fucking champ and he got, he did not get that much slabbering. He, I put this in my notes. Michael Buffer dares to compare this match to the fucking moon landing. Because he said 25 years ago or whatever, man, what done him and now we're on the precipice of a big mobile and everything like, aye, what, where, where are you going for this? Where are you going with this, Buffer? Aye, where, are you, where are you getting this from? Hogan's going to come in, act like a wank like he usually does. Can I take this moment to slide in a fuck you, Michael Buffer kind of thing? Yes, you can. Because he's probably trademarked the phrase, let's get ready to rumble. It's been known to sue people who use it without, his, without saying it from him. And apparently these long, overblown interactions. He played a hefty price per appearance with WCW, so WCW threw a hectic chunk at him for these big matches, getting very long in return. His things were already overly, overly drawn out, and still sometimes he would fuck up. Most notably, we announced we announced the at a Halloween Havoc '98 the reigning United States Heavyweight Champion Brett Hitman Clark. What a wanker, <laughs> man! <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, Mike, Michael, what's his name? Buffer. Oh, Buffy boy. <laughs> Let's get ready to rumble, you prick. Mm. God, sue me, God, sue me, you bitch. Literally, you got no- there's nothing you can take from him. There's nothing of value here. Yeah, I've got nothing other than scorn for you, you cunt. Unless Michael Buffer has a vast interest in wrestling tapes, which I don't think he does. No one's like he even with an interest in wrestling itself. As OSW perfectly put it, 
He is a lifelong fan of money. Yes. Well, I'm a lifelong fan of ripping the piss out of cunts. Hey, cunt. Why are you calling my tablet a cunt? No, I'm calling him a cunt. I'm just moving closer to the microphone to emphasize my, my, my point. My microphone's over there. This is my, this is my notes over here. I forget. Paul, cunt. There you go. Sorry, Paul gets confused. Sometimes you have to point him in the right direction. That is true. That is true. I need direction. <laughs> it's sucking my will to live. <laughs> this match is sucking my will to live. <laughs> we won't need to stop talking about how much we want to blow Hogan. I, I was surprised. I, I mean, he didn't do these particular moves well. But Hogan put more effort into wrestling in this match. I know, even did a fucking, even put on a figure four. Yeah, tried a bad one, but yeah, still, shit he one. tried a cross arm bar at one point, did a back suplex on the outside. I know, fuck. It was almost like a, a wrestling match. He put about 50% of the effort into this match as he used to do when you see those clips of him wrestling in Japan. Yeah. Well, like, Hogan? Doing wrestling moves? Also, I mean, it's dumb as mad that Hogan used to complain about people daring to call him bald. When he particularly gets sweaty, his hair at the back becomes so much more thin, which ultimately points out again how little hair he has. Yeah. Like, mate. How you can you use Hogan in a match, walk up to him with a fucking yellow duster and go, Baldy! <laughs> but, actually. I am the bald American. The fans are very much behind Hogan, even though there are some Flair fans there. Uh, Hogan. Gets the flare down and Flair annoyed complains, Oh, you know, he pulled my hair, classic he'll lie. Then Hogan actually does pull his hair and doesn't say anything because he's a bit jealous much. I know. <laughs> like, he pulled my hair. Right, fucking Hulk Hogan's jealous, he can't say he pulled my hair. Like, where? How far back did he get his hand? Like, he, he pulled my hair because he's jealous of the fact. And then Flair gets him down to the mat, and then, like I said, Hogan does some actual wrestling. Flair then hides behind his chair, which annoys Tony Schiavone, and like, what kind of man is that? That's a smart man. That's our world champion, Schiavone. Schiavone's uh, a bitch. Jason gets Hogan to chase him around so he can then go after the leg and everything. Twice they tease you that he might be going for the Hulk up, but then Flair like, stops that. Yeah. Hogan does give it as, as much as he takes it with the chops in this match as well. Oh, he does, he does. Well, I say, as much as I like to fucking criticise Hogan and call him a bellend and shit, this match, and this was probably because I assume this was his first big match in WCW. They tried to claim, oh, after a three-year layoff, so you apply you not wrestled since 1991. Yeah, come on. Like, he's been out of the ring for a while. He wrestled last July at King of the... Yeah, no, no, last May at King of the Ring. He's been out of the ring for a couple of months, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, fuck's sake. He got leg dropped so hard, he got put into a time continuum where he probably hasn't wrestled for three years. Yeah, yeah. And he, even on the way out, I've got... Do you know what? I've got to bring this up now whilst I remember. Mm-hmm. Even on the fucking way out of the company. Mm-hmm. Now, I hate to be a stickler for wrestling tradition here. Yeah. But what are you, what is a leaving champion supposed to do on his way out of the company? He's supposed to not only drop the title, 
but make the opponent he's dropping it to look good on the way out. Not only good sometimes, but correct. But no, Hogan couldn't even do that. Hogan had to leave the company on a hockey finish. Mm -hmm. Because Hogan is a bitch. So, Sensational Sherry, or sorry, Sensuous Sherry is <laughs> getting involved. Also, what do you think of Hogan's WCW song, American Made? Is it? He's a American Made. It's okay. <laughs> the only other lyrics I know is like he's got a red wine blue running through his veins he was born and raised in the US of A that doesn't rhyme you the fuck wrote that Jimmy Hart wrote that I think it was performed by the same guy who did Real American why Rick did D- Jimmy Hart write it because Rick, Rick Hart used to be in a band to use a seal I almost tell you a joke oh rhyming veins with US of A Jimmy Hart you've done it again so Sherry tries to get involved she uses her tights at one point to choke Hogan Oh yeah, yeah. Jimmy Hart keeps trying to stall her from Chokes him with her tights and he's going, oh, oh god, the guff. She, get, she gets involved at least three times before <laughs> Mr. T, who disappeared and suddenly was like, wait, I'm meant to be helping Hogan. Comes in and grabs her, takes her away, or his, or his Bobby Heen screams and on, he's kidnapping her. He's kidnapping her, Savannah. That's the right thing you say. Say the black guy's kidnapping the chick. You know, that's, that's going yeah. well. Yeah. But fucking, but, but why would you guys have in common other than wrestling at WrestleMania 1? We both were in a film where we'd be up Sylvester Stallone. Oh yeah, so we were. But uh, eh. then Flair uses that to get the, the brass nuts, or which a couple of years before us they briefly weren't allowed to call these foreign objects, they had to call them international objects. That's somehow better apparently. But he uses that, Hogan gets back up and that's where the Hulk up, because I love that Bobby Ian sells like, oh no, you gotta stop him Flair, you gotta stop him, because he's watched so many Hogan matches, he's mm. married so many guys who have lost to Hogan, so he knows the traits of him. But Hogan does, he's Hulk up, he eventually does hit the leg, as you did earlier when he tried that, I think, before hits the leg, defeats Flair for the title, to a big response. <coughs> he would have the longest reign of the WCW title with Hulk Hogan as the WCW title. 469 days. He Fuck the- him. Yeah. Yeah, Hogan has the longest reign of the WCW world title, as I was saying. We're told that soon for but they would make a mistake here because yeah they did the Hogan come in gets a big barrier it's still some Hogan love to capitalise on financially yeah. and you can see that in the barriers because the next pay-per-view is Fall Brawl they were just about to make the move to monthly pay-per-views but Hogan had a deal when he's got out he didn't have to he only had to appear on a certain number of pay-per-views so Hogan wasn't on Fall Brawl and to see the barrier significantly drops down by almost 100,000 because there's no Hogan there's no Hogan they would go back to the Hogan and Flair route a bit too often after that because they'd have another match on a Clash of the Champions 28, which Hogan lost by Ken out. But then they would have a steel cage match at Halloween Havoc, which Hogan won. But Flair gave being retired after losing that match because he was actually moving into the booking role backstage. Him and Kevin Sutherland were in the main bookers creatively right. while Airbus was running the company. So then we realized, oh shit, we overdid the Flair thing. And by then, Slowly, surely creeping in of old school WCW fans like, no, oh, we don't fucking care about Hulk Hogan. Because a lot of Hulk Hogan friends were being suddenly hired around that time. Yeah. Brutus, Duggan, the Nasty Boys. Virgil. Well, no, he would come during the NWO days. But oh, yeah. right, right. Like, the Booty Man. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> Leslie, okay, Brutus. And so he would come in as his brother Brutai, as his side, or 
He briefly tried to call him the Clip Master instead of the bar of WRF. Quickly shut that fucking the down. The Clip Master. But then they were doing, all the while they were doing this thing where Kevin Sullivan had his triangle of terror with Earthquake, now called Avalanche. Yeah. And then there was a third mysterious member who was attacking Hogan. Who could this be? Eventually he ripped the mask off. It's Brutus, his brother Bruti. Oh, who, no. who has butchered this friendship with Hogan. So now he is the Butcher. And that would lead to wow. an epic match between the Butcher and Hulk Hogan for the title. And the main event of Starcade. Did the Butcher win? No, thank fuck he didn't. That was also around the time Macho Man debuted, so then the main thing for 95 would be Flair returning and Heave and Vader versus the Mega Powers was the main feud for the first part of 95. Yeah. On and off. With a... Vader becoming the US champion at Starcade and automatically declaring himself, I am the number one contender now, I will come after Hulk Hogan. And the class of the champions where they had the tag match, Vader hit the Vader bomb on Hogan. The initial traditional big and would say, gets the Vader bomb at class of champions, lays Hogan out like Earthquake did back in the day. Oh, but creates peril for the pay-per-view match we're going to have in February, which means that Hogan, Hogan's win should be even more triumphant, potentially. Nope. It's a Vader bomb in January at the Class of Champions. Hogan pops right back up and halts up. Killing Vader's finisher. Wins by, wins by DQ at Super Brawl, which leads to a Bash to the Beach uh, steel cage match. So Hogan would become synonymous with Bash to the Beach in the early years of it. Yeah. It would be Beach Blast up until 93, and then from 94 onwards it was Bash to the Beach. But that, you know, Beach, Floridian, yeah, but, Hogan. Yeah. Bash to the Beach 95 was held on a literal beach. And clips of it would be used in the WCW crossover with Baywatch because Hogan, Macho and Flair and all that appeared in an episode of Baywatch in 86. But it was filmed in 85. Yeah. Uh, so Hogan won a still game match over Vader. We'd defend it on the first two episodes of Nitro. On the first episode he'd defend it against Big Bubba Rogers, a.k.a. The Boss Man. Yeah. And then before being confronted by the debuting Lex Luger who would defend it against the following night. Luger who I believe... Appeared on two shows, did he not? No, that, was that, that oh, Rick? You think if, like he showed up with people not realizing he wasn't under contract. He worked a few live events for WF, not under contract, so he was well within rights to then leak over from right from one of those live events to to Monday Nitro. So, do you know, just out of curiosity, the last sort of live event that Luger did with the dub? Not the live event. He was he, only the last tell my experiences was on an episode of Raw before. He was on a roll before SummerSlam, then mysteriously disappeared. Uh, no. He was maybe on an episode of Raw, suddenly wasn't there. Bulldog was there, who was in these Allied Partners tag team with him, right? Yeah. Uh, Allied Powers. Yeah, that's what I think. You said partners. Well, that's all. <laughs> Allied Powers, really. Then Bulldog turns heel on Diesel, and then tries to interfere in the Mabel match, I believe. But then Luger comes out, does an angle. I think was hope they're hoping to do a Allied Powers explode feud between Luger and Bulldog. But even though Allied Powers really hadn't gained any traction, and then then Luger buggered off anyway. Yeah. So then then Luger becomes an ally of Hogan's alongside Sting and Macho against the Dungeon of Doom, <laughs> where they would easily <laughs> where they would easily <laughs> defeat the Dungeon of Doom uh, and a War Games match at Fall Brawl. And by easily defeat, I mean. Dungeon Doom had mostly the upper hand up until the final entrant in the match. Who was the final entrant? It was Hulk Hogan, of course. Of course. But then, Meanwhile, at the Dungeon of Doom, with Sullivan now being the Taskmaster, and now, and recruiting Avalanche, now the Shark, and you had 
Akun, it was Meng. I know why it was a short goal, because apparently the WWF pissed the and said Avalanche was too close to Earthquake, and yeah. they were like, no, nah, you have to be it, Shark. It, Sullivan, Shark, Meng. The British was now Zodiac. <sighs> yeah, one man gang was a member for a while. Uh, and then, of course, the most prominent member, the come, who's come in to try and destroy Hogan, the Giant. Who literally Ooh. debuted by bursting through a wall in the cave of the Dungeon of Doom. And taking out Hogan. I assume he didn't fall down. No. But he <laughs> threw, threw a, throwing a shirt at Hogan like, you remember this? This is my shirt my father Andre wore in the Princess Bray. I'm coming after you, Hogan. He attacked Hogan at Fall Brawl after the war games and literally did a neck snap angle. Hogan had to come out in a neck brace and everything. Uh-huh. Fans were also, the boots were starting to get a bit louder for Hogan, I should mention by this point. Well, what, you mean people were starting to tire of the bullshit? What a surprise. And so then they had a match at Halloween Havoc 1995, which was in two parts. First, there was a monster truck sumo match. They're on the top of Cobo Hall and big monster trucks, and by them, I mean they cut to them so you couldn't see the guy actually driving both monster trucks. Yeah. Or Hogan's one had big yellow and big Hogan arms on it, whereas the Giants one had big massive teeth on it. Urgh, scary. <laughs> <laughs> I meant to take the piss, I didn't mean to make myself laugh on that one. <laughs> Gah, baby, very gah. Uh, <laughs> There's yeah. an ancient Austin Powers reference for you. I was going to say, jeez. Uh, I, was, I was watching it the other day, so, you know. Good for you. Look, everybody, my my winky was a key all along. I have used the Dutch line before, mainly because I know someone who's from... The Netherlands, so I've used that to take the piss. Listen, there's only two types of people in this world that I hate. People who are intolerant of all the people's cultures and the Dutch. Dutch hater. Take the fascia away, Dutch hater. Anyway, <laughs> so that Hogan and Giant get out of their ones of trucks to start brawling. Giant falls off the roof. <laughs> And falls off the tease for the next couple matches. What's going to happen? I mean, it's Giant going to be there. Like, he fell off a building. He should be dead. So Hogan comes out, assumes there's not going to be a match. Did, did he break the ground? <laughs> like, what side did he fall on? Was it the river or the parking lot? What difference does it make? Well, it makes a difference if he lands on concrete or in the fucking water. Yeah. Might have lived somehow. What? Water not as bad as concrete. Well, not, depending on how high you fall. Oh, yeah, as I say, it might not even be the landing. It might be the fall that kills you. Yeah. But uh, Giant shows up, not a scratch on him, has a match with Hogan, wins by DQ, but secretly, Jimmy Hart betrays Hogan in the match and secretly had negotiated a contract that the title could change hands by DQ. So because he attacked, he joined in on the giant, on Hogan's behalf, attacking Hogan or whatever, he, Hogan definitely lost by DQ. The Giant won the belt, but people didn't realise he'd won the belt until the following night on Nitro. But the thing this is most remembered for, other than him falling off the roof, is he's got Hogan in a bear hug. And then out comes the Yeti! Oh, yeah. one of recent bandages. And who grabs him from the other side in a double bear hug? It's basically a mixed gesture like he's fucking humping Hogan. Yeah, I remember seeing clips of that. That looked questionable. Yes. And then the next day in Nitro... Uh, Giant squashes a jobber in a 16 second match for the title while confirming he is the champion until WCW authority, authority figures come in and say 
well, we don't like the way you did this and how you went behind our back to make, put the stipulation in the contract, Jimmy Hart. So we are stripping the giant of the WCW title and putting it up for grabs in the first ever World War Three match. Ooh. Which is WCW. WCW had the Fraser Crane thoughts of the Royal Rumble. If this is more, think of how much more more will be. So three rings, 20 men in each ring. <laughs> Fucking hard to call. And a lot of people, when it comes down to at least five or ten in each ring, everyone goes into one ring and we have a actual, we do the finish of the match. This one would be for the title. They'd do three more after this, each declaring who the number more contender for the title is going to be. All, members, know, of, all members of the NWO. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I bet you any money, right? What was this match called? World War 3 is also the name of the pay-per-view, World War 3. I'll bet you. And I know I'm probably speaking mentally here. You can tell me if I am. You're speaking mentally. Well, cool. You're just preempting it. I, I can tell sometimes. I, <laughs> I strongly think... Look, see if he gave Triple H that idea. I bet he could take that travesty and make something good out of it. Ah, uh, so please don't give him ideas. I mean, he loves these old school wrestling the Triple H, but don't give him that kind of idea. No, but Triple H could take... You know the way Vince used to take what Vince Russo said mm-hmm. and, you know, make it palatable to most normal human beings? Mm-hmm. Triple H could do the same thing with a match scenario. Yeah. Uh, we go into the World War Three match, yeah, the big confusing match. We had Macho, Macho Man Randy Savage actually won the World War Three match, where he was the plan for the originally for the World War Three. Hogan was meant to be eliminated by the Giant, and then they'd both get or in an angle where they'd both maybe go over, or or Hogan would throw the Giant out and Giant would pull him over at the same time. Mm-hmm. The match eliminated somebody else to to win the match and become the champion. Hogan, that don't work for me, brother. Change the finish. Not before the match. During. During the match. Where he gets pulled under the ropes after eliminating the Giant. So they were eliminated. Macho was declared the winner because referees don't just see that he's outside. So they say, oh, Hogan must be eliminated. And then Hogan can't allow Macho to celebrate with the title. He's like, no, you saw I went under the ropes. And he's probably overacting so people in the fucking cheat sheets can see that he's trying to emphasise what happened. And then says the phrase... I deserve, you know as well as I do, I deserve a shot at my belt. Like, it's not your fucking belt, Hogan. <laughs> so, so, Savage has three title defences on Nitro, all ending in DQ, by the way. Yeah. It's Luger, Flair, and the Giant. <laughs> Flair would win a triple threat on Starcade 95 to earn the title shot later in the night, defeating Sting and Luger. And thanks to interference from Aaron Anderson, this new four horsemen. Or Horseman, he would win the title from Savage. Savage was dealing with an arm injury at the time, except they tried Keefe, but so they could all fool the Dutchies. Dutchies are reporting that Macho's got an arm injury. We can't let them think that. I but he is injured, though. I but we can't let these Dutchie writers think they know better. But he's hurt, though. <laughs> you clearly but, are injured. But, but he is. But he is. Is yeah. that who your argument would be if you were sitting at the time around the WCW writing table? You'd be like, but he has but Yes. Uh, yes. Dude. Like I, I went and I get pulled under the rope and you do a bit of Kevin Bridge and like, did you, aye? Uh, <laughs> so Flair gets the belt in it eighty six. 
His matches with Flair, which he lost, lost by TQ. He had a weird match with Savage on episode of Saturday Night. He has a couple of weird defenses on episodes of Saturday Night against Dean Malenko and Alex Wright for the title. Uh, and then on an episode of WCW Nitro from Caesars Palace, the first ever Nitro title change, <laughs> less than a year into Nitro, Savage would win the belt back. Hogan was celebrating with him afterwards because I think he saved off some heels that were trying to interfere. And then Savage says, I've had enough. I've had like enough of you piggybacking your tricks. Mike and you can tell he's real, I think you can almost feel his real hatred for Hogan coming through. You're, you're running around here like you won this belt. Like you won this man. Well, I won it. Right. I won it, you gory stealing prick. So then Savage would only hold it until Super Brawl where he'd lose it in a key match to Flair. After an inexplicable heel turn from Miss Elizabeth. Oh. You'd, re- you'd realign with Savage at some point in 95. She then turned heel on Savage. They weren't together in real life anymore. Yeah, lad. They, took... they weren't legal. They actually weren't together when they had their wedding ceremony at SummerSlam '91. So, so they had Flair had then two female valleys at the time. Then Miss woman. Elizabeth and woman. Yeah, woman. This the rest in peace. Yeah, you know the sadly departed Miss Nancy. Yes, Miss Woman. Mm-hmm. Miss Woman Ar- Argento. What was her surname? No, yeah, no, I don't know who it was. She was married to Kevin Sullivan mm. before Benoit. Well, let's just say, let's just call her Nancy Sullivan. Yeah, Nancy Sullivan. There you go. Yeah, woman. Yes, woman. Woman. When Flair would hold on to the the belt for about the early year '96, uh, uh, would still lose alongside multiple other heels against Hogan match when a big unfuck up cage match at uncensored. <laughs> <laughs> Doomsday Cage of Horrors, whatever it's called. Doomsday! It was literally Hogan and Savage versus Flair, Anderson, Meng, Barbarian, Luger. Uh, Meanwhile, in the Cage of Doom. Were others, but there were two. Tiny Lister, aka Zeus, was brought in as Z Gangster. And I can't remember the name of the guy who was, but he go on and played Bane and Batman and Robin. Oh, Colonel Kitchener? Yeah, no. No, he was, I can't remember his actual name, but he came in. This guy apparently had literally, as much as Hulk claims he has the large arms in the world or whatever, the Trayvon Python, this guy legit did, did for a while hold the record for largest arms mm. in the world. He would come in as, now originally they called him the Final Solution. And then he was oh like, yeah, yeah. Like, no, 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 that was a thing the Nazis did. Okay, what are you now? Ultimate Solution, like, oh yeah, that's... Aye, aye, super Nazis. Oh, that, that, that's like that's like 20% less Nazi, yeah, good for you. Still not na- non-Nazi enough, but good for you. You'd have one match in WCW. Do you know who else had a match, or I don't know if he had more than one in WCW, just in an offshoot kind of thing? Giant Haystacks. Yes, he wrestled on Uncensored. He's, he, he'd have like maybe a hand, get on one hand the many matches he's had. Maybe 3-4, 3-5. Yeah. His only pay match was on Uncensored, losing to the Giants in under five minutes. Yeah. So the Giant could earn a title shot. But yeah, Giant Haystacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't think I don't think Shirley Crabtree ever done it. I think Shirley yeah. Crabtree, aka Big Daddy, was sadly passed by then. Vigo once told a story about a conversation he overheard between Daddy and Haystack. He basically said that a certain, by a certain point onwards, people just called Big Daddy, just called him Daddy when they were talking yeah, to him. Daddy, uh, you don't Shirley or anything. Yeah, and the conversation we talked about, like he like you know you know I can't remember what he was calling that. You know what he said. I think Ian might even with his real name, Big Dan Haystacks. No, surely. Or Loch Ness, as he was called in. Oh, yeah, Loch Ness. You know, he's no, he's not Scottish, he's very 
very English. northern English. Like, yeah, you're big northern. Oh, good. I'm going to get you. Huh? I'm, I'm not this. I'm going to I'm, I'm Scottish, I am. I tried to build him as, as Irish as well when he was in World of Sport to play off the whole English-Irish relations, yeah. tensions and everything. I'm Irish, I am. Oh, top of the morning. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, oh, I can't even do that accent. Like, <laughs> I can try, but I'm making an arse and annoy people. I can do a Northern Irish, but I can do the phrase, I do this phrase because Ed Byrne makes a joke. Do, I, I'd like to see you have at it all, would you know? Like, I remember <laughs> Ed Byrne talked about the only phrase he can do, if, he's from the Republican, the only phrase he can do in Northern Irish, and I can do this, I know Irish accent, Spurrick outburst of sectarian violence. <laughs> the only bar I heard there was sectarian violence. Sporadic outburst of sectarian violence. There's a bomb in the biscuit tin. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, you like that one? <laughs> yeah, 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 I like that one. Anyway. It was funny. Anyway. <laughs> So yeah, he was into the giant. Anyway, Flair is still walking around as WCW champion. Let's be forget. Uh, try, try to avoid the giant and everything. Getting his title shot. The giant eventually gets his title shot on the twenty second of April episode of Nitro, and Giant wins the title properly this time, mm-hmm. defeating Ric Flair. I think it's even a spot where he tries to get him the figure four. Giant powers out of it, grabbing Flair by the throat and picking him up and fucking just choke slamming it. This is the way he used to properly go down with them for the choke slam. Ah. And the Giant would be, would hold on to the title for a couple of months. Originally, he would held on to it while Hogan disappeared for the next couple of years before his big return at Bash at the Beach. He would defeat Jim Duggan uh, three times. Lex Luger a couple of occasions, especially ones on pay per view. Sting. You feel on pay per view. Arn Anderson, uh, the Shark, Scott Norton. Basically, any match he had, he said, "Oh fuck, I'll put the WCW title on. They'll make that'll be fun." <laughs> Scott Steiner, pre Big Papa Pump, pre Big Papa Steroids. Yes. <coughs> uh, Greg Valentine randomly an episode of on Saturday night. You defend against the Booty Man and Brian Nobbs separately, obviously. But then, of course, what happens at Bastard Beach we've covered before? Hulk Hogan drops leg and he rushes in the New World Organization of Wrestling. <laughs> no, Hogan, you fucked it up. You've ruined it. you ruined everything. But then, uh, Hog Wild, the baby you find of all those bikers who never paid again, yeah. which would then be called Road Wild because uh, certain motorcycle companies said, No, you can't use the word hog in your title of your pay per view. Yeah. <laughs> So Hogan, Why weren't we happy with that? I don't know, I think it was a corporate thing because Hog is like a, yeah, it's a, a brand it's a, like motorcycle so they had to change it to Road Wild. I don't know if that's like slang term and I'd, I'll, I'll preface this now by saying I know fuck all about biker culture so if I offend anyone that's on a bike seriously I'm sorry dude or do that or whatever the fuck I don't, I don't know shit but I think Hog is either a slang term for either motorcycle mm-hmm. or a certain brand of motorcycle, like, the I Harley. It, I think it was a brand of motorcycle, but it would also be used as a description of a bike. Oh, so and so is riding his hog out there. Oh, cool, cool. So I'm not, I'm not technically making a fuck up. Yeah, yeah. So you're within the ballpark, I'd say. Cool. So I'll only slightly get hit. 
Yeah, you're, the, you're, you're within the general facility, the Venn diagram, you would say. Oh no, I'm close enough to be punched. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna. <laughs> if you want occasion, I usually back you up, but on this occasion, no. I'm, no, you punch him, he's the one who made the fuck up. He said it, not me. I, I can't outrun the men on the bikes, but I don't have to, I just have to outrun you. You can't outrun me, I am a picture of fitness. I could outrun you. Do you say I smoke too much? I didn't say anything about you smoking, but I'm just saying I could outrun you. You could not. I could, I could. I could. You could not, because I'd push you down first. I'd cheat. Well, without cheating, I could beat you. Yeah, but not, with, not the way I play. Not after, not after two kinds of factors and one hooch, obviously, I couldn't. Yeah, I'll just get you drunk and then push you down, then I'll win. Ha ha! <laughs> I'll stagger onward to the victory line. Whilst you drunkenly try to pick yourself up awful drowned whilst I'm staggering and going, ha 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 ha. Even after I put myself I could probably catch up to you. Yeah, probably, because I'd sit down and have a joint or something. I'd be like, ah, victory. And then it'd be like watching you run by. Like, and I'd run by and fucking skid you in the face. And I'd be like, you prick, you really made me drop my smoke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Hogan wins the belt back. And this become the most notable thing about his team with Hollywood Hogan, as he would be called. As he would be champion. Take the belt. NWO and then also during the time he'd, he'd basically make those two shell out the money so Hogan could have Voodoo Child as his entrance music with a little in, little bits of NWO through it and the biggest icon in wrestling as he's saying and so Hogan would win the title you know what I told you he already has the longest reign as champion you know his reign from when he wins it here to when he loses it as Hollywood Hogan? It's the second longest reign. So he has both the first and the second longest title reign. What a cunt. You know he only defended it twice before the end of 1996? This is in August he won it. You defend it against Flair at a Clash of the Champions 33. I believe it was actually that may have been one of, one of if not the last uh, Clash of the Champions. And then would retain it over Randy Savage at Halloween Havoc. Because then he screwed around with the contract for his match at Starcade against Hol- uh, Roddy Piper. Uh, because Roddy Piper was coming. I was one of the few guys who never backed down to Hulk Hogan back in the day. I can defend WCW and everything. So Hulk, that Piper beat Hogan, beat him with a sleeper hold. The title wasn't on the line. A lot of people didn't really know that the title wasn't on the line yep. when that match happened. I know. I know all about the hulkiness of that one. So Hogan... But then, but people don't really care a lot about that because the like, NWO was hot as anything. Which yeah, is yeah. to the much-reviled sold-out pay-per-view, the first ever sold-out, because it was maybe an NWO-exclusive pay-per-view, which flopped. Well, not mm. flopped, but it was not poorly re- Did reviewed. Did you do as well as DX in your house? It was not poorly re- re- goodly received. I mean, I'm sure it had a decent buy rate or everything. But he defeated the Giant, the Giant had joined the NWO, won World War Three, and then had the gall, the unmitigated gall to ask, Hey Hogan, can I, can I have my tail shot? Because, you know, one way or another, the belt stays in the NWO. And Hogan's like, I'm not having this. It has the NWO beat up the Giants. God. Hogan's a butthole. And so beats the Giant at uh, uh, Sold Out. Had the match with Roddy Piper at Super Bowl. And this time the tail on the line, this time he wins. Now, Lex Luger won a title shot. Uh, I believe Spring Stampede in April. To get a title shot, he won a four corner match between the Giant and both members of Harlem Heat. Yeah, but Hogan isn't getting a title shot right away. I don't think 
he doesn't get it till August. But like I'm thinking, surely because Hogan was on like the back of the beach, a really high bar when he teamed with Dennis Rodman against uh, DDP and the Giant. Yeah, probably did big business because Rodman was a very controversial figure in sports and everything because he was a bit fucking mental. Yeah, he was. He was. Oh, sorry, was he is a bit fucking mental. He's good friends with the North Korean guy. Yes, I was with. Uh, he was in a relationship with Madonna, wasn't he? I think so. But I'm pretty sure that Rodman, whenever he's doing social media tweets or anything, still tweets NWO for life. Yeah. And he... He uh, is a loyal New World Order member. WCW has briefly mentioned that big Last Dance documentary because also he was on the same team as Michael Jordan and there's a whole big thing, apparently. He, he would... Once, once or twice, he skipped practice to with Rodman. So you go film vignettes at Nitro, hanging out backstage with the NWO. <laughs> that's Rodman. Mm-hmm. You sound like he's like a comedy character. Oh well, that's Rodman. <laughs> do, 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 do. Anyway. Who's that guy? That's Rodman. Do, so, do, so, do, after, do, so like on a Nitro after a springtime, you could easily have Luger win the belt and hold it to August or whatever when, they had, when he and Hogan had their match at Road Wilds. Uh, and Hogan could win it back so hopefully we could have a couple months with it no no, they decided to do the Nitro the go home Nitro for Road Wild Luger wins the belt from Hogan a big response I remember, I remember has a big celebration they all get some water they, they clean the belt they clean the NWO thing off the belt six days later Hogan wins it back not even a fucking week not even a week thanks I believe he would defend the belt against uh, against Piper in a cage match again, which is mostly, mostly known for Savage trying to interfere with an axe handle and spectacularly missing the mark. Do you it. think? Do you think Eric Bischoff ever looks back in that time period, going, "I wish I didn't just cave to that baldy fuck." I mean, some occasions he said he wished he didn't, and some things he defends like. That's the whole point of it. That seems to be the whole theme of his 83 week show, looking at some things he does regret, some things he doesn't. And you know, then he changes his mind. He says, like, some things he says, yeah, that looks like bad thing, but then he explains, well, it's actually this bad decision was actually meant to lead to this thing that never happened. So, in the context of what we were planning, it was a good idea. But it but, never happened, so it was always a bad idea. But then now I look back on it when it didn't happen, then yeah, when it's, so it's a bad idea. Like, he'll, he even said he would do the finger poke of Doom all over again because it was meant to lead to something bigger with the NWO. But the NWO thing never happened because it was meant to involve Goldberg and that was really the time Goldberg got hurt at that time. So mm. the, the thing he was looking for never happened. Maybe he should have just, you know, dealt with the whole thing and... I don't know. There's many ways that Eric could have dealt with it back in the day that like he should have done and never done. So we'll go into our final match because we've been here quite a while. We'll go into our final match. It's Starcade. 1997, Hogan vs. Sting. Ooh. Now this has been a building, legit, since September of 96. Because at that, that year's fall, bro, they had a fake Sting. And they were making everyone paranoid in it. And WCW, who, could actually help, who else could be involved with the NWO? And so the WCW were very much convinced by this fake Sting, including Lex Luger. And because when Luger came in, he was a, mostly like the Dungeon of Doom, and everyone was saying they can't trust him except for Sting, who stuck up for him. So when Luger turned, even Luger was saying, "No, we don't trust you. Like we know, Sting, we know you're in crazy with the NWO. Like really, Luger, even you, after all the times I defended you and everything." It was like, "Poor gay." And then, so then when when the fake Sting comes out, Sting follows him, 
and shows the guys in this cage, like, look, see, it's not me, it wasn't me, and then fucks off on them, because now they've got the man to survive, now that they've let next thing left them, and then NWO wins. Like, even Bobby Young Connors like, Sting, we're sorry, come back. <laughs> and Sting, we're sorry, we didn't even mean Sting it. comes out on, the, on Nitro the next time, and is like, lambasting everyone down there in the fans, like, you all really believed I could betray WCW, me, I've been the heart and soul of company and everything. I'm going to go down my own path. And from now on, the only thing that's for sure about Sting is that nothing's for sure. Mm. And then we slowly but surely develop the, the crow character. A suggestion, obviously, famously by Scott Hall. Scott Hall suggested that. Uh, he was a big cinephile. He'd seen the crow. And, hey, man, you might have changed up your look. I've seen this movie, The Crow. Maybe you can do all black and white thing. Like, he has so many, like, also Scarface-inspired Razor Ramon. Yeah. There's an angle where he was doing his little drunk thing, which also was ill-advising, but it was meant where he was meant to throw up, and they used, like, cream of wheat soup or whatever they used this bit, and the reason they used that whole was to, like, oh, yeah, I was watching this thing about the Exos, apparently that's what they used for the vomit. Mm. So he wanted to use, like, so... Hall was big into his movies back in the day. Yeah, yeah, Looked at shit like that for inspiration. He was a movie buff. A cinephile, as I believe they're called sometimes. Cinephile, or a... Movie guy. Movie guy. That guy. I'm not the bad guy. I'm the movie guy. Say yeah. hello to the movie guy. Say hello to my little Flynn. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but so Sting would appear. So he temporarily joined Endo as this thing, but it was really just so you know, a couple weeks of like, oh, this member of Endo has mysteriously been taken out backstage. Oh, look, it was Sting. He's just trying to get closer to Hulk Hogan. Mm. And WCW kept offering matches, oh, how about you fight, how about this contract to fight Kurt Henning or to fight Scott Norton or this person in the NWO or like even Scott Hall. And he kept ripping up the contracts, like, get pointing, like, I want Hogan. Like, pointing the, he was yeah, making point pointing with his back. It's like, I'd want Hulk Hogan, other that or nothing. He didn't wrestle for more than a year on WCW TV. Yeah, he just kind of hung around the rafters, didn't he? Yeah. But looking at people going, Hmm. So then that would lead to the match at Starcade, versus where it's meant to be the night where WCW would get their own back again, which they did to an extent. They, I believe, Buff Bagwell did beat Luger, who's a new, and NWO won a six-man tag over the Stingers and Bubba Rogers, which was their team was Vincent, Scott Norton, and Macho Man. Macho Man was already in that match because he was filling in for Conan. Yeah, because Conan, I believe, his missus went into labor right before the pay per view. Yeah. So much. So Matchman had to fill in, but Matchman's basically like, Keep Matchman, can you be in this, pe- this match? Okay, I'm winning. <laughs> I'll be in it, but I've got to win it. You've got to be in it to win it. But then WCW did get wins back, like DDP unseated NWO's Kurt Henning to win back the US title. Myra Sabisco, thanks to help from guest enforcer Bret Hart, defeated Eric Bischoff to earn to win control of Nitro because there was a whole thing about Thunder coming. There were Potentially going to do a brand split. Now let me just let me just quickly jump in here. The interesting thing about uh, this particular Sting Hogan match, yeah, that was actually Brett's debut, right? Well, he appeared on Nitro briefly, yeah, but then but he... that was that was his proper pay per view debut. Yeah, and he comes in as a fud to argue with a cunt referee. I I'm I'm I've started reading Brett's book again. I've just passed the Montreal button. I've read his first year in about. I've read through his first year of WCW. God, after Montreal, the book gets more sad. Yeah. It's really just him complaining about WCW and not knowing what to do. And I'm like, 
like it's so sad. I'm like, am I gonna get through the end of this book? Because like I know his time in Azure wasn't a great one, but like he even says so much like the Hitman character died in Montreal. Well, yeah. And I'm reading, I was like, God, this is fucking sad. I mean, there were some sad parts in this before, but I've not even gotten to how he reacts to Owen's death, his stroke and everything. This is him just complaining about... Yeah. I've been like, God, this bit's going to get even fucking sadder in a minute. He seems like... He seems like... He's had a bad... He had a bad run of things, you know what I mean? A terribly bad run of things, what were like... He's finishing WWF, mm-hmm. his first year in WCW, his brother passing, his stroke. There's something, I, there's a detail one of the screwdriver I didn't know about that I, I couldn't help but laugh about. They're saying off the spot, he knows that Sean's going to put him in the but that's meant to lead to the Yeah, that's spot. supposed to lead to, like, he, he grabs, uh-huh. and then members of DX, members of the Foundation, come out, cause a scrimmage, and that's how it's... So I read in Brett's book, Sean's saying off the sharpshooter, Brett legit, tell Sean, you're crossing the legs over the wrong yeah, yeah, way. Yeah, he had to tell Sean how to put him in it right. And then he said he first realised that something was amiss when when Hibner got back up again. Like, he looks up and sees Hibner again. I'm like, he's supposed to be not down for this angle. He then he quickly goes to grab the leg thing. He then hears, ring the bell. But, like, it's too late by that point, mate. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so then Brett Hart's made come out later on for this thing match. But, yeah, we have got a fucking... Michael Buffer doing the long introduction, Sting comes out and everything doing yeah, the voiceover when a man's heart is filled with deceit. The lone protector, all that. I always, always honestly thought with WCW's usually things was kind of faggy. It was like, come on, the fuck are you trying to milk it, you prick? So many people say that the minute that Sting didn't repel from the rafters and just walked down normally, was like, well, there goes all his fucking mystique. Yeah. So Hogan, he and Hogan, have this built up as the biggest match in WCW history. Starcade 97 is held as the top pay-per-view by Wise in WCW history. 700,000 pay-per-view buys. Almost a million. Yeah, 700,000. This is the highest WCW would ever get at this point because of this angle and the anticipation around Sting. And then the match happens mm-hmm. where Sting doesn't verbally sell anything. He just looks like he's very nonchalant doesn't sell emotion until he starts firing up towards the end everything where he's trying to get in the mind of Hogan. Hogan is on offense quite a bit. Then then Sting gets his drop kick and everything. Sting goes for his stinger splash from the outside, Hogan moves and they're like, he's finished And then he's on offense and he's on more offense. More offense. It's a light drop. It perfect counts. And Patrick is supposed to go one, two, three, like fast count. He was or it used to be the NWO referee. Mm. So it was a real, oh, he's still technically crooked. He, Hogan's got in his ear. And then Brett Hogan came out like, no, I've been screwed. No one else is ever going to be screwed again on my watch. We start the match. Sting wins. No, what happens is, I drop, and Patrick gets down. One, two, three. Regular count. And then Bret Hart looks like an arsehole, and Hogan looks like he got screwed. Yeah. And then all the dozy of his cram in the ring, he leaps into the arms of Lex Luger in the arms of the giant as they hold up Sting. Here's what happened, apparently, allegedly. Do tell. So it was meant to be a fast count, and maybe Sting was meant to get a more offense in, because I think it really should have been more one side to Sting up until the bump into the guardrail yeah. that Hogan takes over. Because they started off with a bit, quite a bit of stalling. So Hulk flipped. Sting, well, it's a Hogan match. So Sting, yeah. Sting comes in, 
has his chat with Hogan and Bischoff and what the guy he goes, second panel went, okay. And then went out of the room, went to go sit in wherever corner of the arena he used to sit in, but in the rafters before his matches. He did, he did seem to kind of keep to himself for a lot of that when he used to just sit in the rafters and sing. Because yeah. apparently he was going, Bischoff wouldn't talk a lot about it, but he said that Sting was going through a lot of personal issues in his, in his own life yeah. at the time, so he was kind of keeping to himself and everything. And so because he hasn't been wrestling, allegedly he wasn't training as much as he used to. So as soon as Sting left the room, Hogan and Bishop kind of look at each other and like, does he seem a bit off to you? Mm. Everything like He doesn't seem as like ready for this. He doesn't seem as Sting-like as he's doing. Yeah, he doesn't seem as amped up, he doesn't seem as ready for Hogan Bishop gets friends with like you know he wasn't even tanned or anything and like he gets friends for like what do you mean you didn't get tanned like that was a big thing back in the day man you used to wrestle would always care about their tan or anything like he wasn't training or anything and so they kind of change it to Hogan being on more offense because like they realize like Sting's been out of the ring for more than a year like he might not be as thing like you know mm. and then much like much like Bishop always said he always made business decisions but then the Nick Patrick of it all Hogan. Bishop waits to wash his hands of this because he claims because Nick Patrick said that Hogan told him one thing, other people told him another thing, and supposedly Hogan's thing leaded more towards the ordinary account. He didn't know what to do, so in the moment he just decided to like, oh, just do my normal count. Basically, fucking up the finish of the biggest match of WCW's ever had, mm-hmm. <laughs> making everything else look shit. So. Well, Brett didn't exactly help because Brett yeah, but, was monotone as well. But Brett was doing the bit he was supposed to do. It was Patrick, but without Patrick's fast count to add to the context of it. Because the commentators can't even say, oh, I think he fast counted there because they would pretty much be lying to you if they tried to do that. Yeah. So, that's that's the story that I've heard. I mean, Sting supposedly was cheating on his missus quite a bit in that period and he was doing. He was relying on pills a little bit because, like, after Halloween Havoc '98, he goes away, trying to sort his marriage. I think he. I don't know if he stays with that his then wife, but he does clean himself up a little bit after that. And, and then he found Jesus. Anyway. Oh, do you want to win? I mean, he doesn't go on about it. No, oh, good, good, good. He did. Do, he did do a really shit TV movie about his life without cleaning himself up. But other than that. Yeah, we don't need to know about that. And people have rightfully put to the piss out of that one. But like, yay, the NWO have been beaten. Yay, Hogan's lost <laughs> the belt. you think that would be the end of it, right? Before I go, I should talk to you about this. Nitro. The next night, they have a match with Hogan. Which ends in no contest, and the match goes off the air just as the referee's been taken down. So what happens is... They go, they tease you with the debut of Thunder, which happens on January 8th. They announce a decision will be made at uh, we're breaking we're breaking the deal and a decision will be made at at sold out. Mm-hmm. The decision is sold out. Next month at Super Brawl, we'll have a match with Hogan's thing for the title. So you made us buy money for this pay per view. Failure decision. Fuck up the pay per view. Right, to tell you, buy give us more money next month to see the match where Sting eventually beat Hogan. Properly this time. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I didn't want to end on such a fucking ah no, but like it's, well, it's so whenever you're talking about WCW, whenever it involves Hogan, it usually descends into an ah moment. I mean, we've not even gotten to part two where we'll talk about two thousand. <laughs> I look forward to that. 
he's just saying WCW 2000. I'm sorry, I love that. Right. Just, see, just saying this phrase WCW 2000 is enough to make you laugh. That says everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, do you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I don't laugh. I kind of cringe and cry a little bit because you think what that company was and could have been, and then it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, for this first part for the WCW portion of this retrospective, I kind of, some of the matches that I really should point out seemed obvious. For part two, I as we get closer to the end, I don't even... I don't know where I go. I have a few ideas out there, but I'm, other than that, I'm fucking struggling. <laughs> I'm fucking struggling, honestly. It's like, it's like fucking pulling through a haystack to find that needle of a good match. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Because some good stuff in 98, but after that onwards, it's more... Shite. Down, down, and more down. It's more status quo, you know, down, down, deeper and down. You go, if you dug any, you went further down, you go through the earth, down to the fucking equator. You went, if you dug any deeper, you'd find GFW. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that, that comes to an end, that, I mean. Well, I, I enjoyed it, some good stuff with, some good stuff I learned and did yeah. not know. You know, I, I, was, I was shocked that the Hogan flare match was my favourite of the, the ones we talked about, but it was, yeah. like, it was a hell of a match, you know? Well, I'll, I'll be honest with you, and hopefully we'll get to talk about these other ones in our next show. There was a couple that I watched in my research for this particular show that I thought were really quite quality. I enjoyed them, so maybe we could get a little talk about those ones next time, too. Yeah, That'll help us with the talking about the later stages crap. Yeah. Potentially. But yeah, that has been our experience with the WCW. Hopefully you learned about it. Hopefully you enjoyed it. If you're a big fan of WCW back in the day and the big gold belt and everything. Yeah. So we'll be back. Oh, yeah. Be... It wouldn't have lasted as long as it did if it didn't have its fan base. Yeah. Uh, we, we'll be back some point in the next couple of months to do part two. And then we'll move on to the WWE portion of that belt and talking a lot. We'll talk about as much about Triple H in that first part as we did about Ric Flair in this one. <laughs> yes, I, we will. I just, Oh, we'll talk about a lot about Ric Flair, because Ric Flair was always there by his side. He was indeed, in, at one point in his faction. Ironically, about that faction, it was two young guys and the two established ones. That's pretty much what the... Yeah, in a way, you can think about it, that was what the fucking Benoit Pillman version of the Horseman almost was. I suppose, Two yeah. veterans and two young guys. I suppose. But, now, what I'll do is, I don't know where we're going to talk about this. Maybe we'll go towards something non-wrestling related, because we've got quite a few Frasier non-wrestling ideas that we want to do in 2023. So, but we'll come back to you very soon. We'll do a show about the art of knitting. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, let us know what your thoughts on the WCW title and the matches we've talked about so far on Twitter at SPLBing. Let us know at Rogue Opinions, which are also available on at Rogue and Square Opinions. Let us know on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Ramblin Podcast. Like, give us a like, rating, and review on your chosen podcast platform because we're available on our feed and the Rogue Opinions feed wherever you get your podcast. Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean, wherever you choose to get your podcast. We are there. Indeed. But Paul. I'm wondering, I have, I have two theme songs oh, no. what to, think about, to think about for the intro. So if you already heard my intro bit where a bit of those little clips I put in. Very cool, I might add. Thank you. We have Flair, obviously his theme, or we could do a Hogan's American Made. We're going to do Flair's theme. Of course we are. I mean, I thought I'd just throw it in there, but of course it's going to be Flair. <laughs> We're going to do Flair's theme. Of course it's fucking Flair. Because... You know, you got to be fair to Flair. Yeah, you, know, you got to be fair to Flair, and being fair to Flair is not playing that god-awful fucking Hogan song. Yeah, yeah, definitely not. Yeah, until next time, where we're going to take a brief break from wrestling. Again, hope you enjoyed this. For, uh, 
He's been Paul and I've been Scott. And uh, he's been Scott. Yeah, he's been Scott and I've been Paul. He seems unsure about that, but he's certain now. Pretty sure, yeah. <laughs> that has been our retrospective. Ta-ta. See ya. Woo!